Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the El Duce of Ducati, Mr. Shaheen Alvande. How you doing? I got a, I got a podcast you can't resist. <laughs> it talks about motorcycles. I got a wheelie you can't refuse. I got a, I got a Honda Goldwing duo you can't refuse. <laughs> so I got, I got two things on this. Okay. When I was in law school, one of my professors... I mean, I don't even remember his real name because we just called him the Duke. Oh, dang. Was he, he like cracking the whip or what? No, no, no. He, he was. So I, I studied in Italy for a little while. Right. And he was the guy that kind of like put that together. And he had like old familial roots, Italian roots. And like, I don't know how it happened. I think, I think the Duke was kind of a play on his name. If, if, if memory serves me right. But like, that was his name. He was the Duke. The Duke. Il Duke, Duce. Duke, are we going to the are we going to the du- the Duomo today? Are we we're staying here? We're going to the Duke. Duke, did you get my <laughs> And he would he would did refer he like to himself as the oh, Duke. Oh shit. He'd be like, you kids need to settle down. The Duke is talking. Oh. In the third person. In the third person. I mean, if I was the Duke, I'd probably be the third person the, too. The Duke was like legitimately 85, 90 years old. He could he can do whatever he wants. The fucker would cane you guys for real, probably. Dude forgot more international law than I ever learned, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> He was an encyclopedia. Um, where was I going with this? Ah, nuts. You were, were well. I was talking about two up Goldwinger. We gotta do that. Yeah, that's that's some. That's, ra- by the way, that might be the most exciting thing that people keep writing to me about. Yes, the two up Goldwing ride. Yes, I need to get like this podcaster doesn't fall off shirt. Yes, off the back because yeah. I'm gonna be on the back. Yeah, although the Goldwing's got a nice. I would say plush and supple backrest. Um, it's been so long. I don't even remember what we last talked about. I got, oh, I got show notes. We talked I? a lot about electric bikes. You know how I know this? Because our listeners reminded me a couple of times. Did we talk about me going and riding in a Talon? The the side-by-side? No. Oh, oh we, you know what? You were going to go do that the last time we talked about it. Oh. Yeah, because you were going to go to Utah. You've been traveling, man. Oh you, how many miles did you rack up this last couple of weeks? Uh, I'm trying to think what my Sky Miles account was before I left. 80,000 miles? I don't know. It's been long enough now that it's bright out. Like, I'm used to doing this in the dark with you, and the time has changed, and it's spring now. No, legitimately. It was winter last time I saw you. Last time I remember being home, it was snowing. Yeah. It was dark at five. We were complaining about the ice on the road on the last podcast. Yeah, and I had like... Five things that I lost on my trips still with me. <laughs> You've got a new phone. I've been, I, I got a new phone. I lost a jacket. I lost a computer charger. I lost a shirt. I lost my virginity. Oh, congratulations. Finally. Was it good for you? Uh, he was gentle. Yeah, I'm so glad. He was very gentle. Um, good, good. So yeah, good times. Remember, a little galoob goes a long way. The Duke listens. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> I just love that he was called the Duke. The Duke. And he talked to him about himself in the third that person. Third person. Uh, the Shah of Brap is saying safety third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So we, man, this wasn't even in the plan, Shaheen. I went to Utah and I rode a side by side with Honda, the Honda Talon. And I know why we're not selling motorcycles anymore. The, really, side by side, the thing. Side by sides are rad. Did you, did you flip one? Did anybody? We flip one? came so close. So the That's way my they biggest did, fear, by the way, of side by sides. For those who don't know, like in the car world, it's pretty common that they'll pair journalists up and one guy or gal will drive while the other sits in the passenger seat and then they'll they'll swap. Yikes. 
Um, it's just like a logistics thing. If right. you're going to have like 20 journalists, it's hard to get like 20 cars. And, and that way too, you can get the passenger perspective and the driver perspective. And they seem to be a little more collegial on that side of things. So that's how they did this launch. And I was paired up with Nick DeSena from Ultimate Motorcycling. Okay. Who's a good friend of mine. A little bit of a crazy dude, though. <laughs> so so I, I go out and I, I drive first. And it's like our first photo stop. And we're in this. It's, so we're, in, we're out by St. George, Utah, which is southern Utah. Oh, yeah. Like southwest Utah. Gorgeous. Beautiful. It's basically Nevada. It's one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. Really? And I can, it's the warmest portion of Utah. And it is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Yeah, you're right. It's not far from Las Vegas at all. No. We flew into Las Vegas. I, I I have had the best breakfast tacos in St. George, Utah. Oh man, I didn't get any tacos, dude. You're missing out. Honda, where are my tacos? Right, do over. Shout out though. Honda hooked me up with some Mountain Dew on this press launch. They knew who they were dealing with. I think it's because of the side by side guys. <laughs> they're a little. They're a little different. They're a little. You know. <laughs> were they like using it like a carrot? Like, come on, Jensen, get in the side by side. We'll give you I a fucking so. Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> so so I get in the side by side person. I'm driving and we're having a good time. And then it's Nick's turn to drive. And neither of us had ever driven a side by side before. I, I I was joking around in the car, like I flipped a Honda Odyssey when I was like nine years old. That's my that's the extent <laughs> of my side by side experience. And the Odysseys are like these little quarter size things with roll cages and dude, I'm thinking like Honda traps. Odyssey, like the like the I think a minivan they make. Or, they do. They have that as well. I was like, if you flip the Honda Odyssey minivan, I'm impressed. Totally different story. Equally <laughs> as rad. So he gets in it. And I guess he had like just come back from the post office because he had some extra stamps because he was sending. Oh, it. man. So we're going through this whoop <laughs> section. And I think he just mashed the, the, the gas pedal. And so we're just going, bam, bam. This is on the Talon X. Are. There's two trimmed levels, and I totally, it's been so long, I've already forgotten the, Did diff, have the difference. This suspension was the longer on suspension one. Okay. Um, 1000R, Talon 1000R, I believe, is what we were in at this because we, we drove both of them. I don't know, maybe you can look it up and figure it out for me. It's pretty gnarly looking. It's the R. So the, because yeah, the R is wider and taller. Yeah, it's there's the R. Talon 1000R. Yeah. Which just looks hilarious. I mean, they look pretty much the same. The difference is basically suspension. Yeah. Uh, and they cost about the same. Well, I think the Talon R is $1,000 more. But that's the thing. So the Talon 1000X is 20 Gs. Talon 1000R is 21. It's pretty pricey. Whoa. Anyway, so Nick gets in it, and we're going through this whoop section. We're following the trail dude, the trail guide. We're right behind him. We're first car. And he's he's hauling ass, too. And it's a photo stop, like a photo section. So we're hitting the whoops and we're hitting the rhythm. You got to catch air. And we're starting to catch air and it starts getting a little squirrely because we're in pretty deep sand Whoa. and he starts going up the side of this berm and then like we're like running over sh- shrubs and he's kind of like getting loose and we hit like a, we hit the jump in like the wrong way. So it kind of, uh, it kind of pitched the rear it, out. It yawed. Whew. And so we're, we're kind of like a mm, 15 degree angle in the air from our from our actual direction it's enough for a little poop to come out and so it lands and it kind of kicks and then then we get really squirrely and i'm sitting there i'm sitting in the passenger seat and there's like this bar you can hold like the oh shit bar did you dent it i'm just hanging on for my dear life at this point because this it just hurts it just physically hurts (laughs) and i'm just sitting there going like we're just one decision away from rolling right now because like we were just 
if we had landed just a little differently, if he had compensated like the wrong way, if the, the terrain changed just a little bit, if we landed like the wrong part of the whoop, we were going to be rolling and we were going to be rolling at about 60 miles an hour. And it's not like a dirt bike where you can kind of move your body around. To no, there's compensate. no English. Nothing. <laughs> just sit down. Best of luck. So that was, that was the closest we got to, to doing that. Until the very end of the day when they let us loose on like kind of like this little short track they they carved out where one turn was literally at the edge of a like 50 foot cliff. Great. Bad idea. Oh. Um, the lawyer in me is looking at that like, that's a foreseeable risk. <laughs> that is, I don't care what the waiver says. I'm going to be able to get out of this one. This is not smart. Oh, but man. pretty much everyone blew out a tire or a wheel on that little short track. We, we changed five wheels after that, including one of the Honda employees. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'm looking at the pictures of it. The thing that looks sort of comical is the the sort of tire and wheel size comparison to the rest of the body. It's it looks like a it looks like a cartoon. It does, but I mean, it does the thing like it rock crawls really well. We we were going on things. So the, the takeaway for me was, and this is what the story is going to look like, is twenty thousand dollars. That's a an expensive superbike. That's a yeah. But here we were. Oh, here I got some photos. Um, here's photos of, of us. Oh, dude, Utah's so cool. Oh, it's so rad out there. But this is this is a motorcycle. This is something that is in that same realm where it's dollars per grins. Yeah, you know, spending petrol. What's the motor that's in it? I assume it's a thousand cc. It's a thousand cc. It's closely related to the Africa Twin. It's oh, it's from like the. The head down is so not. So it's a parallel twin then. It's a parallel twin, and the heads, and uh, I think the s- pistons, the head, the valve train, I think that's all straight from the Africa twin. Huh. But obviously, like, the crank man, and the at, transmission and all that. You got some good flex on it, too. Yeah, it articulates, man. It's um, it's no joke. I feel like in a state like Utah or Nevada or Arizona that you have, you know, that sort of terrain... That that thing just looks right at home uh, out there. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it fucking crushed everything. I mean, like, like for you me, not knowing climbing a, stairs on that thing. Yeah, not knowing a damn thing on how to do anything. Just mashing the gas pedal. No, <laughs> no technique. Um, yeah, it was super easy. And I think in Utah, they're allowed on the streets. You don't have to plate them if it's uh, short distance. Yeah, I did notice that in Moab. They they yeah. kind of run around and they have little motorcycle plates or, on. Them. Or it's super easy to plate them. I know yeah. in Pennsylvania, it's super easy to plate them. That last picture that you had was, I think, the berm you were talking about. It's like, you missed this. No, that's something else. That looks like it, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. We didn't get any photos of that berm. That berm was bad news bears. <laughs> Honda didn't even want to have photos no, after that one. Home. We don't yeah, do we silly things like this. Look at that. It. Sending it. We got, it's got four-wheel drive. So, so my takeaway from it was, this is, this is like a motorcycle. This is a, if you're buying one of these, you're not buying a motorcycle. It's a lost motorcycle purchase. Yeah. And for us, like it was just as fun being in the passenger seat as it was the driver's seat. And we had comm system. Um, so we could talk not only to the the driver and the passenger can talk, but we also could talk to the whole group. Was the comm system part of the package? No, that was some, oh, okay. so some it was a other thing. But like thing. there's it's in the space. I thought it would be kind of a cool thing that Honda's doing that with their the comm uh, systems we have side by side. Horrible, but the, the the idea is there. Um but for me, it was just interesting to see like how much fun like we could both have at the same time. That it was kind of like a group thing. That it was like I came back home and I was showing my girlfriend the photos, 
And she's like, oh, that's totally something I would do with you. What? She's like, you know, I like, I'd trust you to, to, to drive and do the thing. And like, I would be totally stoked to be a passenger nice. and go see all these things and all that. And this is a person that she's not against being a passenger on a motorcycle. She grew up with her dad being a passenger on his motorcycle, right. but isn't like really like keen. Like we're probably never going to get on that gold wing together. I mean, she's, she's just not she's like in super, the healthcare industry. I she's get in it. The healthcare, think, but it's just not her. To her. We're going to get her. She's not against motorcycles. It's just not her jam. Right. You know, and if I said, if I said, hey, like we're gonna go do on a motorcycle trip this weekend, like that's my, like I planned our weekend getaway. It's on a motorcycle. It's gonna on be a going. Thing. She'd Hello. be cool with it, but that's not her idea of fun. Whereas like this, it was really interesting to hear, like, oh yeah, that mm. looks fun. That looked like a good time. Like I would go to Utah and have a trip where one day we did that, which I think is a huge thing, and I think that's why side by sales are so strong right now. And if you look at the market size, unit wise, it's about three quarters the size in the motorcycle industry in the wow. U.S. And I think that's why, like, it's a family. You can get one that puts four people in it. You can take the whole family in one. It's pretty impressive if you consider that only in a couple of states they're allowed on the streets. So right? people are people are buying these things just to solely go out on them two, three times a month, maybe. You'd have to have a big car trailer. I mean, it's yeah. not like it's super easy to transport, but I think in certain locations it makes a lot of sense. And quite frankly, maybe it makes more sense than a motorcycle. Mm. So that was, that was a big interesting thing for me. And I think that's truthfully why Honda invited us out because... I like told him straight up, I was like, why do you keep inviting me to dirt events? <laughs> and why do you keep inviting me to things that like, like this is not my core thing. But I think they were looking at it from perspective of, of you know, this is, this is, this is a power sport thing. This is, this is something that's, that's the shifting landscape of power sports where we're seeing motorcycle sales kind of go away from bikes. That's not a redundant, but going into like side by sides. I think that's why truthfully Yamaha is dicking around with the Nikon. Yeah. Although, I had a conversation with someone the other day about about what the Nikon's all about. Okay, and and they brought out the really interesting point that when we start getting into adaptive cruise control and emergency brake uh, systems for motorcycles, doing that with a traditional bike is very very difficult. But if you do it on something that's self balancing or self driving or has like you know that weird like Honda thing where they have like the bike can keep itself upright by making quick little yeah. Same thing with the Nikon, where it's like, oh, it's got a, it's very front end stable. Then you can start adding in these these other safety features that we are take for granted in the car world onto motorcycles, and that's very interesting to me. It's interesting to see people's pushback on stuff like that too, though, because you know, then you're sort of, I mean, remember back in the day when ABS was starting to become a real relevant thing on motorcycles. Oh my God, yes. People are like, oh, if you can't handle a motorcycle with ABS, well, all right. Well, all that's right. just because I think the motorcycle industry is full of morons. There's a lot. There's a lot. There is. Well, I clearly say, not our listeners. They're all very smart. But the rest of them, I would, I, I will take the the moron comment back. But there is a very interesting Venn diagram overlap of the motorcycle industry, and I would say people that identify as libertarian and or luddites, where it's this like resistance to change i'm got my machine i yeah. could live on the wild right, in the wilderness right. on my own don't tell me what to do and i think that's part of what the abs thing was because it's just in there like i don't want you to tell me i have to have abs yeah i can i can do it without abs i can ride anything i've been riding a pan head since you know 1918 <laughs> you know when like, the pan like, first came like, out you're 52 years old what are you doing <laughs> so i think i i think one of the reasons for that is motorcycles are to some of these people the final, you know, the final freedom, right? 
This is the last thing that you have that that is true freedom in in your world. You can just hop on this thing, fuck off, and nobody can bother you. Hardly anybody can catch you. So as soon as you start changing that, right? As soon as you start giving it a new face, uh, some of those people get freaked out. And it's I'm, I'm with you. It, it it always baffles me to see how motorcyclists are. Some of them, anyways, are just so anti-change and anti-progression uh, when it comes to the sport. And it's like, you know, it's the thing that they're used to. It's that one bike that they're super used to. Uh, and and maybe those are the people that aren't buying new things. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's part of, I think that's part of what's killing the motorcycle industry, because I think those kind of people are also the dis- in a lot of positions of power and are still decision makers inside the manufacturers and the apparel companies and just the AMA and the MIC and just they're, they're the old guard. And I think they came from that, that perspective that you just described, not realizing that like, that's not really a perspective that is, um, translating to younger generations. And, and so it's like, I almost think about it as like, if you, you forgive a political analogy, but it reminds me of like the tea party and the Republican party where you have a very vocal minority group that kind of hijacks the mainstream group and 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 starts changing it within. And I, th- I think that's happened to the AMA, and I think that's happened to the motorcycle industry as a whole, where you have this kind of, let's call it a libertarian, Luddite, old-school motorcyclist, and they're becoming more and more and more the minority. But as that happens, they're also like kind of pushing back at the change. And I, you know, like that's where we get like the animosity for like hipster bikers who happen yeah. to be younger bikers. That's right. Well, um, you know, like I'm, it's been interesting. This year has actually been like a very interesting year just to see the industry's reaction to podcasts versus last year. Last yeah. year it was like really hard to sell people on the idea of a podcast. Now, now they it's, know. it's starting to change. Yeah. And it was like that when I started Asphalt and Rubber 10 years ago, where I had to like kind of tell them what the internet was and then I could pitch them on Asphalt and Rubber, <laughs> which is like strange, but you're like, like that's just where that mindset is. Like it's not a part of their world. Like internet, I don't. I don't use the internet. I don't have a TV. I'm imagining you trying to describe the internet. Well, let's start with the birds and the bees. I was like, well, it's a series of tubes. Al Gore invented it, and it's used <laughs> mostly for pornography and cats. Uh, yeah. So I mean, that's <laughs> and then that like really sets you up for a bad pitch on why you should advertise on it. <laughs> so this is where I'm actually pretty impressed with Honda, who has constantly sort of come after you to cover these dirt events. Because they know that if they go outside their regular norm, outside their box, there's going to be new ears to it. Here we are talking about something that is, frankly, not very relevant to us. Truthfully, I I 100% believe, because they invited a few motorcycle outlets, but they didn't invite very many. But I think they were sitting there going like, we're going to poach some motorcycle sales with this. Yeah. And as long as it stays in the Honda family, I don't think they give right. a they give a rat's ass. And the, and for them, the talent is a big thing this year. It's their first sport side by side. Yeah, they I didn't even know Honda like, made a sport side by side because you always see, you know, like yeah. Yamaha. Yamaha's big on that, uh, and the uh, Kawasaki's been getting into it. Um, I think uh, uh, is it Polaris? Polaris, yeah. Polaris Can Am, yeah. Can Am. They, they make some. They the dealership the north of us has. I mean, you go in there and it's just these big machines. It's crazy. And clearly, they sell because they're constantly new ones every time I walk in there. It's crazy. So I think that's I think that's them trying to steal a couple motorcycle sales. Yeah. And if it stays in the Honda family, they don't really care. Um, it's better to cannibalize, cannibalize your own sales than have someone else steal them. Do you think they're stealing sales from motorcycles, or they're I, just simply trying to, to uh, maybe save a sale that wouldn't have happened on a motorcycle? I think it's both. I think there are going to be people that are like, yeah, bikes were cool, but like 
I got a family now. My my kids aren't into bikes. My wife doesn't want to get on the back. Right. My doesn't want to ride. This thing's got a, a you know. Not but I can get the whole family in one of those four seaters, and yeah. I can you know take out the you got seat belts. You got a roll bar. It's it's you know it, it is safer because of those things. It's on way there. safer. I mean, it's it's still not safe, safe, especially like you got freaking Nick DeSena sending it. <laughs> but like, well, take some of his stamps away. Maybe he'll slow down. <laughs> but um. It, I mean, yeah. I mean, you've got a roll cage around it. You have a seatbelt. You're wearing a helmet. Right. The perception of safety is certainly it's higher. Way up there. And th- the, probably the actual safety is probably higher, too. I mean, you're still in a vehicle that can go 80 miles an hour and barrel down a cliff. In fact, we lost a colleague a few years ago to a to an ATV de- uh, accident, and he died from ATVs that. are a little different, though. I, I never feel I, as safe I, as I don't an remember ATV. if it's an ATV, a or UTV, a or a yeah. side-by-side. I don't want to say, but it was it was a four-wheeler. It was an off-road four-wheeler, right. a power sport four-wheeler. Um. And he rolled right off a cliff, man. Oof. You know, so like shit can still happen. Right. It's not a completely safe world out there. It's not like there's crumple zones. There's no airbags. Um, but it's, you know, look what can happen on a motorcycle. So it's, the PSA we're coming out from this one is stay away from cliffs, guys and girls. Just, yeah, you know, not a lot of luck with cliffs. Just, just don't cliff. And if you meet a guy named Cliff, stay away from him. Yeah, he might not be legit. No. Get a reference. Yeah. At least two references. Like maybe oh, one yeah. personal and one... Uh, professional, professional reference. Yeah. You're going to at least check out that LinkedIn profile. I, I want to know what his relationship with gravity is. If it's very, very intimate, maybe maybe stay away from Cliff. So, whoa, what is wrong with you? Why are you, what is that you're drinking? It's a Diet Coke. What the? F- I mean, I had you lose some a bet? So I just got back from Europe like a couple days ago. I was gone for three weeks. So I literally, first thing I did when I got here, had a Mountain Dew. <laughs> but I literally have like, I've purged my, my system of the green devil. Oh. And um, yeah, Project that. Six a Pack Coke. starts today, sir. Yeah, I mean, all right, this is version four point five point oh. I don't, I don't keep whatever. Track. It's hey, so much easier of, when you don't keep track. But listen, I am gonna put a slight little tiny wrench in your Project Six Pack cog. Oh no! And that I found a new burger that is now my new favorite burger in Portland. All right, so we're going there for dinner. I like where your head's at, sir. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna go there with you. We're gonna eat it, and then I'm gonna hope that you'll agree with me. Then we can give him a shout out. I'm a big okay, fan. Okay, next of this. show. Next I'm show. A big gonna, fan of this dude. So we're recording on Wednesday. We're gonna record again on Sunday yep. and try and catch you folks back up. Because apologies, we've been gone for a little while. I mean, you've been traveling. I've been busy. It's like 100 on me. I'll it's take. Okay. I'll take the blame on that. It's all right. That's my bad. I've been looking at your pictures. You know, with with. Only a little bit of jealousy, a lot, a lot of jealousy. The good news is I don't think I've got a bunch of trips coming up, but none of them are longer than a week. And I think as long as your schedule doesn't get too crazy, we should be able to to navigate those. Well, we're leaving together. Well, not together. Well, we're going to go gonna, to Austin together. Yeah, Austin. Woo, so MotoGP. You'll, you'll see us out there for MotoGP. Shaheen's going to have stickers. I Hopefully. hope to have some stickers. Yeah. If you see us, come give us high fives and get a sticker. Yes. 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 Very good. We have some very interesting shirt ideas as well. Percolating. Mm-hmm. Could be, could be interesting. There might be gold involved. Um, yeah, I would be very surprised. I if like it wasn't. gold. Uh, Shaheen, we're like thirty minutes into the show. You want to start the bullet points <laughs> <laughs> on the show notes? Uh, you know, before we start, so I on on one of the I don't know if it was the last one or the one before, but on one of the podcasts, I had mentioned that I had these leather patches mm. that say "Safety Third" on them. Yes, I have. I have since given two of them away, so I'm down to two. Leather safe, safety third patches. These are actual leather. Are you making you can, people you can, work for these? Yeah, man. So like, what, I, I what do I got to do to get a patch? Tell me. I mean, you you just get one because you're here. 
right now. But I mean, like, like I mean, like hypothetically. Oh, like, hypothetically. I'm a listener. So, what do I do? You know what I asked for was put, like make a quick little video of yourself on Instagram and okay. send it to us and tell me where you're listening to this thing. Oh, okay. Like I want to know where you're at. Okay. Where are you? That's good. Are you that's, driving? That's easy. Are, are you are you in the country? Are you somewhere else? Are you driving to work? Are you? You can do in that the on gym? the toilet. You can do that in the kitchen, dude. You can, let me know if you're taking a crap while doing it. That might make me laugh enough where you get a patch. Don't recommend doing it in the car, but you can totally do it in the car. You oh. People do it. I mean, if you're in Russia, you're already recording all the time. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time watching dash cam videos in Russia. It's pretty fucking amazing. It's, it's wild That's because uh, insurance fraud there is insane balls. So everyone has to have dash cams to ensure that they don't get... Because people like will literally just jump in front of cars. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing so that's why they have oh, the dash my hurts. you can't get insured unless you have a dash cam now because there's too many like fake hit and run whatever bullshitty jump in front of your car things Jeez, and GoPro sales are just crazy over there probably yeah well they have like the early days where like you'll literally have the dash cam of like like little ladies like walking across the street looks at your car and then like jumps on the hood and then falls <laughs> down I've, I've actually watched these and you're just like what it's, are you doing oh you, you're if you your... ever don't know what to watch on youtube just google or YouTube search uh, Russian dash cam videos. In fact, the reason everybody saw that meteor oh, in yeah, Russia because was of because of that. Cams. Yeah, exactly. And, like there were so many different points of view of this thing. So yeah, anyways. Uh, yeah. If you need a YouTube, and if you run out of those, GB AM, AMSR is, is a good go-to. That is well. a very good one. She's my girl. She, duh. So yeah, anyways, make a video of yourself <laughs> tell, telling us where, where. Like, are you in the car? Mm. Are you, what state mm. are you in? All, you know, physically and mentally. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. If you need to have a tiebreaker, a Coda Kitty mention. Oh, yeah. Definitely a Coda Kitty mention. And possibly a cat haiku. I I have a weakness for haikus. I do them all the time. I think haiku is a winner. Yeah. Did you but, know the word refrigerator has five syllables in it and it's one of the best words to use in haiku? It is. So does hippopotamus. Yeah, I know. It's beautiful. <laughs> we are nerds. <laughs> so, um, Tell us, Jensen. Before that. Ooh, don't tell us, Jensen. Shout out to my boy, Walt. Dude. Dude, if, man, is crushing okay, it. Okay, if you guys don't know who he's talking about, we're talking about the world-famous Walt Siegel, uh, who, by the way, if you ever meet him, is like one of the nicest, quietest people you'll ever meet, but his yep. motorcycles shout for him. It is so funny. He and I email all the time. I've never met him in person. Really? Yeah. And he's out here for like the one show every year. It just always never works out. Super nice guy. I was hanging out with the Velomaki crew at the one show, and I guess he and uh, Kevin of Velomaki are buds. And so he just started talking to me, and I go, holy shit, that's Walt fucking Siegel. He goes, yep, it's me. I'm like, oh, I said that out loud. Okay, cool. <laughs> but <laughs> nicest guy I've ever met. Just And like he's just like this super clean-cut guy. You expect to see him driving like a fancy you know, European roadster with his nice hair. I would see him like, I would, I would imagine him in like a Defender. That actually, yeah, yep, like that, like, you know, like an imported Defender ninety right hand drive, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's exactly like he's got a scarf around his neck. Probably the guy looks like he's got a million dollar hair. Cable knit sweater. That's my mind. Ooh, cable knit. Yeah, like, like a like a good naval sweater. But then you he's see in the he's, northeast. He is. He's in New England, right? I think he is. Yeah. So why are we giving him a shout out? Let's let's tell people, Jensen, oh because I mean I was screaming about it earlier. So he made this electric bike. It's an Alta. Well, it's an Alta drivetrain. That's about where the similarity. The heart of it is an Alta. Uh, that's really where the swing it is. arm looks like a Alta. Maybe part of the frame is. Yeah. Yeah, part of the frame is. But it's just like a little little electric. I don't know what you call that. A supermoto? It kind of looks Road like Street. a spit It looks like a way better looking spit balloon. Yeah. Svart, Which is a hard svart, thing to say. Svart balloon. Svart balloon. 
There's a Vitpolin and a Svartpolin. We'll get You're to a that in a minute. I'm a Vitpolin. I'm going to Svartpolin you all over the place. Um, it is an obnoxiously handsome bike. I would happily ride this thing all the time, every time, except it looks kind of small, but that's just because I'm um, fat. Yeah, I bet I bet it works out in person. Just knowing the, the Alta that it came off of, I'm sure it's fine. Go to Walt Siegel Motorcycles Instagram page and look at this yes. thing. It's just you should be following Walt already. You should, yeah. If you're not, I mean, there's 1,841 people. His, Jensen Yosef liked it. His bikes are so fucking awesome. Uh, the Boulder, his Superbike one, isn't my favorite, but the fact that it's the like what he did to build it, I think is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Um, his hyper. Motard ADV build was rad. A buddy of mine here bought one. It yeah. is gorgeous. It is, in fact, he has a picture of the one that he sold to our buddy Greg, and it's, it's, dude, it weighs nothing. I don't know how he made a hyper Motard even lighter. Well, it's because he does all these crazy things. Like he, he's worked with Farge, Farged. It's not even a word. Farged? It's Farge steel, Farge aluminum, Farge myself, Farged. Um, forged carbon. He's doing a lot of like carbon fiber body work, working with like titanium. Like he's, he's. He's got that good blend of style yeah. and like substance, you know, like it, it keeps it legit. Like you look at his stuff, you're like, that thing would probably go like, I'm looking at the lime green version of it. Like yeah. that, would, that would go rip up a trail, Dude. you know, and look good doing it. Um, yeah. Walt's crushing it. Good on him. Yeah. I, I, that's one of the things the Walt Siegel bikes are one of the things that I go full on just starry eyed when I see one. Yeah. My my voice goes up a couple of pitches. I get really screamy and fanboy about it. All right, yeah, let's get let's get down to business. <laughs> you know, we don't often veer off track in. Yeah, our we podcast. never do that. We're, we're very linear. Almost people. never. We're known for it. In fact, people are always commenting about how straightforward we are here. Yeah, nobody ever says that no, else. no. <laughs> um. Yes. So. So I was in Europe for three weeks and did a lot of things. I rode five bikes, uh, Moto Guzzi, Vespa, Ars, uh, Aprilia, and Husqvarna. So there's no way we can get through it all in this show. So Shahin, I think we'll just do it backwards. Ooh, we're going to Pulp Fiction it. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll Tarantino it a little bit. Let's start with the Husqvarna. Svartpolin 701. I rode it out in Lisbon, Portugal, my new favorite city in Europe. It, I am dying to go to Lisbon. A lot of people have told me that oh I would feel gosh. right at home there. It, it it literally it reminded me of home because it, it's like a European San Francisco. Uh, we rode out to the westernmost point of Europe, uh, even more west than than Ireland, uh, which was pretty cool. And um, spent a day on that bike. And I don't know about this bike. It it's okay, let me ask you, what is the difference between the Svartplan and the the other one? The Vitplan. The Vitplan. So so crash course on Swedish. Svartplan means black arrow. Vitplan means white arrow. Okay. Um, so are you the yin and yang of each other? Kind of or yin what? and yang thing going on. The Vitplans are more cafe racer. The Svartplans are more scrambler street tracker. Okay, so kind of a dirt tracky looking thing. Yeah. Got it. And then within that, you've got the different um, platforms. You have the 401, which is based off the KTM 390 platform. Right. And you have the 701s, which are built off the KTM 690 platform. And then, you know, in theory, there'll be like an 801 or a 1301 and da 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 da. So 
Um, the Husqvarna Svartpolin 701, it's a KTM 690, basically reskinned to look like a street tracker. And it's black, and it's got the Pirelli MT60 RS kind of street tracker tires on it. Mm-hmm. And it's got that big single cylinder. It's the largest single cylinder, or is it the largest? It's definitely the most powerful single cylinder engine ever made for a motorcycle. Um, it's the same thing. It's in my Kramer. It's a rad little motor. It's got the next. It's the second generation, so it's got the dual um, balancing shafts. Okay. One on the crankshaft, one on the camshaft, and that really kind of evens things out. So we're talking like seventy-four horsepower, and I believe fifty-three pound feet of torque. How's it geared? Is it more sort of city riding, or can you cruise you on can, this thing? Yeah, you can cruise. I think the lowest speed. Oh, see, everything was in KMH. Um, I was doing the math in my head. I think we were doing like 11 or 13 miles an hour and it was fine. I didn't, yeah. I didn't have to feather the clutch or anything. Um, and we hit, I think I hit 150, 160 KMH, which is 92, 93. Yeah. Thereabouts. Yeah. 150 and, was like, and, and there was room to go. The thing that's a little hard. <laughs> there's a, there's a couple things that I don't like about this bike and they're pretty big things. But one of them that's like a more minor, it's like the tachometer goes to 13,000. The bike only revs to like eight. It's one of those deals where you're like, what the <laughs> fuck are you guys doing? You guys have an extra 5,000 RPM just and laying around And it's not like somewhere? that dash is shared with any bike that does go up to 13,000. So you're just kind of sitting there going like, are you guys just being like optimistic or what? Uh, is Maybe they were using KPH. No, wait, that doesn't this work. This is RPMs. I know. Maybe it's like metric RPMs. Metric RPMs, or I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think I, don't I think keep trying to come up with an excuse, and there's nothing. Um, I I know, like in the car world back in the day, they would have you know speedometers that went up to 200, and your car was. I can understand the speedometer, but the tachometer is just like this is wasted space because, like that was the thing that was like kind of killing me because the eight thousands right around like twelve o'clock on the the dash is a circle, right? So eight thousands like right at twelve o'clock, and then like thirteen thousands almost at like three o'clock. So you only feel like you're getting like half the rev range. You guys could have put something else there. Like they could have anything. Truthfully, they should have used a TFT dash. And that's one of my issues with. So we should, we should back up a little bit because, and, and talk about like Husky versus KTM. Okay. And the way they pitch it is that the core brand values of Husky are that they're pioneering premium and Swedish. And by pioneering, they mean like kind of leading with technology, going into segments that other people aren't in, doing things a little bit different. Like I think, and I think the the styling that they're doing with these bikes is a part of that. Yeah, because they're very like neo modern, neo neo retro. Like I like the way I like the general feel that they're going with. I don't know if I really like the way the Svartplan seven one looks. I like the Vitplan a Vitplan lot. Definitely is a good looker for me. Um, so I mean, like. And, that, and that's kind of the thing is I just published the review today. Like I said, like, hey, if you like the way this bike looks, this is going to be a great bike for you. If you don't like the way this bike looks, this is going to be a horrible bike for you. Because <laughs> it's just like you have to kind of drink the Kool-Aid on it to want it. The bike itself is amazing to ride. It's super fun. It, it handles. It's super light. It's like 370 pounds. What There's nothing it to it. Yes. Yeah, 370 wet, Shaheen. And it's got a 160 tire on the rear. So it's it's really nimble. It's got a short wheelbase. It loves to wheelie if you can turn the traction control off. Yeah, what's with these Swedish people not letting you turn traction control so off? This is this is like one of my main gripes, is like it's it's they want it to be premium and it's really just not. And it's twelve thousand dollars. 
Oh, that's premium. It's basically a KTM 690 Duke, but $3,000 more expensive. What are you getting for it is, that? It is full on 33% more expensive than the Duke. And you don't really get anything for it. The traction control is either on and off, and it is a bitch to turn off. How much is the Vitpilin version? Same price. Oh. Vitpilin super uncomfortable. Yeah, it's sort of, it for is, as narrow of as a bike, the seat is the super wide on it. super hard. They're really racked up. What you want to do is get a Vitpilin and put the Svartpilin bar on it, right? which might entail like the triple clamp having to change. Uh, but that would be the ideal because the riding position on the Svartpilin is perfect. And the bike, like it's got such a short wheelbase, it wants to wheelie, but like the traction control, there's no settings on the traction control. It's just either on or off. Huh. So it's just, there's but no like adjustability. You can turn it off. Well, that's good news. You cannot turn the ABS off. Interesting. Unless you pull a fuse, and then you lose the cornering ABS on the front. So it's like all these things. You're sitting there going like, so what's the premium part of this? Like, like you're not bringing me any premium features. And then like you look at the dash. The dash is one of the worst in the business. It looks super cheap. It's super hard to use the buttons on it. It's super hard to read. Like, like I said, the tachometer goes to 13, but the <laughs> engine only revs to 8. And so there's all these little things like that. And you're like, the KTM 390 Duke. Your budget bargain basement bike comes with a TFT dash. Why can't your cool, like, you know, retro modern thing here come with one? Put that huge fish finder dash on the 1290 Adventure on it or something. I'm, I'm really curious where they were going with this. It's, it's, uh, it's sort of, I will say this, parked next to the Duke, I think this is a far better looking bike. Uh, for me, it's I like that styling better. I like that sort of neoclassic styling. Never loved the the look of the 690 Duke. I, I really love how the 1290 looks. Right. I can kind of live with the 390. The 690 just looks a little weird. Super fun bike to ride. Same thing with this. Super fun bike to ride. I would say when I look at the Spartpillin 701, it looks like a dirt track race bike. Yeah. Like a, like a framer. Right. Um. So I think they were true to the aesthetic. And like I just don't happen to like the way flat track race bikes will look like twins. I just don't like the way they look. They look a little hodgepodgey. Not for everybody, man. Um, so that's fine. But like it's the same thing where it just looks a little hodgepodgey. The radiator just kind of stands out there. It's got like a little number plate for the, by the seat, which is kind of you know interesting. Um, it's a big honking single, so I feel like the riding experience is really authentic to that, which I love. Yeah, it's just it's just not the bike for me. Like I'm just. I'm just not, I don't have a, an emotional connection with it. Whereas like the Vitplin like actually does something for me, but I can totally see how some people would be into this bike. And that's where I see like, if you're into the way it looks, this is a great bike. Like you, you're going to be into the design. You're going to have an emotional connection with it. And then you're going to get on it and you're going to realize like, holy crap, this is super fun. I just wish it was either, I don't know, $2,000 cheaper <laughs> or had like some actual features because like you think about $12,000, that's, that's you're getting Yamaha MT-09 features at Ducati Monster 821 pricing. Yeah. And that's the problem. How much is a Z900 RS? If I had to guess off the top of my head, I'd say like 10.5. So I feel so like that's a lot more bike. What, what do you, how much, let's see who's right. You, you guess the price. Uh, Z1, Z900 RS. I thought it was like 97.99 or something. Z900, Z900. Ooh, yeah. In the US, it's 11.2. Dang. I thought it was way less. Wait, is that the cafe version or the actual RS? That's the RS. And then the base model Z900 is not eight is eight thousand four hundred. What a jump. Yeah, they're really, they really, they really tag you on that one, don't they? Oh, wait, the cafe is the so there's a Z900 RS, which is eleven two. Z900 RS Cafe is eleven seven. Hmm. 
a little pricey. But even then, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so have you given it the Jensen Beeler score? No, I haven't. I'm okay. still working on that. There's, well, okay. That's I mean, a let's, really let's complex talk about, thing. Let's talk about your your cons. Let's just come up. What's the top so, five cons that you can come up with? Cons is the price. The cons is the features to the price ratio is totally upside down. Okay. The I don't like the hornet's nest of wires that are exposed. Like, like it just for the brand that's supposed to be premium, there just aren't those premium finishes. I'm I not know getting, why a lot of these companies don't internalize their wires on the bars. Well, to it, be like, fair, you're charging this kind of money. Come on, do the thing. To be fair, that motor is that motor platform is pretty old. And like, yeah, they put in the counter shafts and all these things, the balancing shafts, stuff, and you think they clean it up, like. I don't think there's an excuse, but I kind of get like, hey, this is an old engine platform and we weren't really thinking about these sort of things when we originally built it. Yeah. But I still sit there and I'm like, you guys can't hide some wires behind this frame. Right. You can't kind of like tuck this in and make it look a little bit cleaner. It's like the early 90s Ducati monsters of the wires all out on the outside, you know? Yeah. And it's one thing, I think, if it was on a KTM where it's like, this is ready to race. We're just about going fast. It's not necessarily about looking good. Like we're at the pointy edge. But if you're going to sit there and tell me, like, hey, we're the more premium brand. We're more, you know, refined right. and, and classy and Swedish. And, I mean, Swedish to me means minimalist. I'm a, I'm Danish. So, I'm like, I'm like right there with you on this one. Right. So, I'm sitting there going, like, yeah, fucking Ikea furniture. There's a reason it's boxy <laughs> and flat and, <laughs> and one works. color. You know? So, so far, the pricing, uh, the messy wires. What's next? I just think they missed the premium thing. Um Suspension's awesome. Suspension's super good. Is it adjustable or no? It's fully adjustable. Oh, that wow. they they hit out of the park. And the cool thing was we were talking about it at lunch during the press ride. There was a sixty pound delta between the journalists at my table, and we were all sitting there going like, "No bike feels spot on with suspension." No kidding. Between all of you. Between all of us. Um. So that was really cool. I mean, I, I'm I was think I was the heaviest one. I'm two twenty, six two two twenty. Right. And this bike fit me great, and the suspension felt good. Kelly from uh, Ultimate Motorcycling. Uh, I think she said with gear on, she's one sixty. Hmm. She's got just no way she weighs that much. She's she's a tiny little thing. What the hell gear is she wearing? She have ballast on that thing? I don't. Maybe, I mean, if you got twenty pounds of gear on, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's more than sixty pounds. Anyways, like she was like saying, like, oh, feels great to me too. And she's shorter, and you know, how are the brakes on it? I know it's a single up front. Single, yeah. So that's the thing. The bite on the on the brakes is great. Is it fade? There's no fade. It feels good. Good modulation. Good initial bite. You just run out of braking power, and that's because you only have one disc. Yeah, it just gets and that, hot. And that's for me. It's not even that it gets hot. It's just there's just physics. You just don't have enough mechanical advantage with with a three twenty millimeter single disc like you do when you have dual discs. I always wonder why these companies like Ducati and because it's. I mean, it's an 18 inch wheel, so it's not the wheel off the KTM Duke, but it's basically the same kind of setup. Right. Because the 690 Duke is a single disc as well. So is my Kramer. Um, and that's the thing for me where it's just like, if this is going to be the more premium version, put dual brakes on yeah. it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be dual 320. It's not as clean looking. You, could do, you can't see the whole wheel. Yeah. I mean, there's an aesthetic thing there, but like, I just sit there and I'm like, give me a reason to pay $3,000 more for a, basically the same bike. Like, you could literally buy this bike off the dealership floor like a ktm 690 pay $9,000 for it put $3,000 of body work on it and replicate exactly what Husqvarna has done yeah and that for me is the shame what was your favorite thing about it oh it's just so much fun to ride it's if 
I mean, I suck at wheelies, so like it doesn't really matter too much to me that you like the traction control gets a little too nanny on it. But the flickability, the upright position, you kind of want to like get a little silly with it. It's just a lot. It's just a really enjoyable motorcycle to ride. Okay, uh, handles really well. It does. It does all the the mechanical things really damn good. Like if I was given like a a grade for the mechanical side of it, I'm gonna go on like A minus. And I think like that's pretty. Good. I think you put a little bit more brake into it. That's probably about it. Huh. Electronic wise, you would rather see a different dash. Well, electronics is a whole other thing. Like that's that's and that's a price point thing for me. Like I'm not going to get there and be like it has to have these features, but at this price point, it does. If you're going to tell me, hey, this is a nine thousand dollar bike, and we maybe ninety five hundred, maybe hey, even ten, yeah, we put a thousand dollar premium over the KTM and be like, oh, okay, okay, I get you. But an extra three Gs, an extra thirty three percent increase on the price, no way. So the frugal Jensen Bueller would still go with the KTM, even though you don't like the looks of it as much. Yeah. All right. Well, no. the frugal. No, no. I take that back. And this is and this is where it gets really silly. <laughs> frugal Jensen Bueller is going to go out and buy a KTM seven ninety Duke for ten thousand five hundred ninety. That is the best sport bike on the market for the dollar. Period. Period. Hard. Can, period. You heard it right here. If if we're doing the, if you want to do the Jensen score, that bike's a hundred. That's a hundred. KTM seven ninety Duke is the hundred. That is now the reference point for all sport bikes going forward. All right, that's a that's a good little middle ground to have. When we start our videoing of the show, we're gonna have a little board behind us. Oh yeah, and the KTM seven ninety Duke is gonna be right there. Bam! I'm gonna put it in the middle, hoping there's something something that's gonna beat it. But so so if I'm gonna do Jensen Bueller score beta, this is I'm not gonna put my like stamp on. It, I'm not gonna publish it, but just for the podcast, we'll call if, the Jensen we're gonna, we're Jensen gonna, Yosef the Jensen score. <laughs> I give I give the Svartpil on a Jensen of ninety five. That beta beta score. That's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. If you're giving the seven ninety Duke a one hundred, maybe ninety two. Yeah, you're this going way why, high. This is, this is why it's a beta. I, well, you know, but it's it's in the nineties. It's it's in the low to mid nineties because it's just. I mean, KTM Duke. Okay, first of all, it's $1,500 cheaper. Um, The brakes aren't nearly as good. The suspension isn't nearly as good. The tires fucking suck. But you've got a full electronic suite. It's just as much fun to ride. I've got my wheelie control settings. I've got traction control. I can do supermoto mode on my ABS. And did I mention it's $1,500 $1, cheaper? I think it, personally, I think it looks better. Um. Yeah, I think you like the, the modern sport bike look more than the classic styling. Well, I mean, I love the way the Vipolin looks. If you could make the here, here's my dream: Vipolin looks on a KTM 790. I want a Vipolin 801. Ooh, maybe maybe that is the Vipolin 801. Could happen. It gets everything, but then they're probably going to price it fourteen thousand nine hundred dollars. Well, that's the stupid part, right? They ruin it. <laughs> they just ruin. It. Now, part are they going to make it cheaper than this? Well, one? understand too. The 690 platform is a very. They're only going to. I think they'll start building it outside of Austria, but it's going to be in what let's say is going to be their more premium factories. There's certain things with the metallurgy. There's certain things with the construction and the tolerances. It needs to, it's a very expensive motor to build because you need to have very specialized people building it. Whereas the 790 platform was built to be a cheap platform. It was built to be built all over, or sorry, it was designed to be built all over the world. It was designed to not be a very stressed motor. They don't have to have any special metals in there or, right. or design elements. I mean, it was built to, it was designed to be built cheap. So that's some of that w- of what's going on there. 
Um, and that just kind of is what it is. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward. So this was a bike you rode in Portugal. This is Lisbon, Portugal. This is so far we've been sort of uh, Quentin Tarantinoing this one. What's next? What's next? So we go backwards. You're gonna love this. So what was before then? <laughs> before that, I was in Magello, riding the RSV4 1100 factory, losing my freaking mind. You you just said I was in Magello, like I would say I was just in the other bedroom. Like you were so nonchalant about that. I want to come over there and slap you. You Shaheen, were in fucking Magello. I was in motherfucking Magello. Damn. Magello, uh, dude, I read that and I got goosebumps for you. So rad. I was talking to my buddy Troy who went there and he was losing his oh, shit. Oh, that's right. I rode with Troy. Troy Seahan from, from motorcycle.com. He's okay. He's all right. He's all right. Dude, he's got a dragon on his on his leathers. His leathers are ridiculous. I love his leathers. Oh my goodness. If that dragon was gold, I would steal it from him. Even oh though my I would God. never, I couldn't even put an arm in that thing. Worst leathers ever. Best leathers ever. Oh my goodness. Troy, gracious. don't listen to him. Troy, oh my gosh. <laughs> I hope his wife dresses him every day because he does not have a sense of style. Uh, he just had a kid. Congratulations. Yeah, to that. he does. He's, he's got two now. Dude, dude, man, shout out to Troy because I think before our trip, before he had to leave, I think his second child was born like three weeks before our trip. Ooh. And he, so he loves leave, his man. family, man. Yeah. I hung out with them. He FaceTimes with them. So the, the guy, the guy is definitely a family man and he's very much, uh, um, you know, Gives his life to this beautiful sport we love so much. I can kind of relate because I got Coda Kitty. You do have Coda Kitty, so that's, that's basically your daughter, like huh? a kid. It's probably probably more important than a kid. I mean, yeah, yeah right? Because uh, you don't clean up like hairballs from your kid. No, no, you don't. You don't pick up. Vo- no, you do pick up vomit from your kid. Yeah, do you pick up poop in random house rooms from your kid. Tell you know what, Troy's kid has never pooped in my office. I like Troy's kid better suddenly. Right. <laughs> So advantage, <laughs> advantage, Troy. And Troy's, Troy's kid kids. is really, really, I, I don't even like kids and his kids are cute. Yeah. They got, they got their mother's looks. Um, Troy's enough, not enough attract- about Troy, more not, about Magellan. Not an attractive man. Um, but he knows it. He knows it. That's why he has to make up with it for personality. He, and he's got a lot of, like, I was kind of like, <laughs> Hey, Troy, don't touch me there anymore because all right, a little bit more, but then stop. Yeah. Because yeah. he just has a good personality and he convinces you. Yeah. Yeah. He's a sharp, sharp talker. So, yeah. <laughs> RSV4 at Magello. Where do I begin? Where do I begin, Shane? Oh, God. How fast did you go? Did you, did I you honestly did you dare look down and see how fast I, you went? Honestly. So, so here's the thing you have to understand about Magello, especially when you're on a 214 horsepower <laughs> superbike. You don't have any time to be looking at nothing down the front straight away. <sighs> so, you come down. Um, I should look up these names. Did you video it? Did you take a GoPro with you? I took a GoPro. I forgot to bring them. Oh my God. I'm going to kill you. I, I forgot to bring all the mounting hardware. Uh, um, <laughs> you couldn't borrow one from Troy. Um, I don't want to use this fucking <laughs> garbage. I mean, I saw a video of him literally screaming, screaming. Yeah. Um, I mean, truthfully, like we just don't do enough video on asphalt and rubber to like really like have to be a priority for. We're going to work on this. Jensen. We'll work on it. So, you come out, there's 14 turns at Magello. You come out of turn four, Buccine. And it's this huge downhill sweeper that you kind of laid apex to get drive onto the front straight. Which way are you going? Uh, it's a left-hand turn. Okay. And you take it in second gear. And you kind of come out of it and you click third, right around like pit in area. You're in like fourth bef- by the time you hit the pit walls. 
you're at fifth ish around start finish. And then like, as you're there's the, you'll see, like, if you watch MotoGP, like all the guys cut into this giant triangle that's shaped, that's got like the Italian flag colors on yeah. it. It's a tricolore. Uh-huh. You cut right into that. And that's right around when you're clicking in a sixth gear. And you have to do that because there's like a little bit of a dog. Like, like you look at the track map. If you look at, if like you pull that up, it does not adequately show what's going on, on the track because you're going uphill and there's a little bit more of a kink than like what a track map would show to the left. So you kind of have to, you're basically apexing this blind apex at a almost red line in sixth gear. That's bonkers. So you're hitting like, I'm probably doing like 300 K 300 kilometers per hour, which is 187 miles an hour. Right. By the time I'm hitting that apex and then you've got a little bit more of a squirt because now you're on the left-hand side of the track before you hit your brake marker, which is like 200 meters out, 180 meters out. And then by that point, I mean, I remember Ari was saying he was hitting 312. Wait, these bikes go over 300? Oh, yeah. No shit. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Those days are done. No kidding. So you, we had guys hitting anywhere between 190 and maybe 197, maybe 195. Uh, down this straightaway and then you grab a fistful of brake you click down four gears into second and you get into uh sandonado which is the right hand turn that kind of goes back uphill and on the rsv4 because it's kind of a more narrow bike with less wind protection like for a big guy like me with broad shoulders i'm fighting wind on my head on the helmet i'm fighting wind on my shoulders what helmet fighting were you wearing when i was on my agv pista gpr okay uh, it's a very slippery helmet. Yep. Um, I'm fighting the wind resistance on my hands. You are most times like on racetracks, like the straightaways where you catch your breath. I mean, jealous the other way around. The most difficult section physically for me was the straightaway because you're carrying so much pace because you're going so fast and you're so in the wind on this bike and like your attention, like you have to hit a blind apex doing 186 miles an hour. It's not easy. It's a very attention focusing. That's why I say like, I don't know how fast I was going. And people were like, well, what was your lap time? Like, I was too busy doing things to be looking down at my dash. What gear are you in when you enter turn one then at the end? Uh, second. Wow. So you're clicking down four gears. Yep. Eating the brakes. Yep. Praying the tire. What tires did they have on those things for you? We were doing Pirelli, uh, Diablo, Super Corsa SCs, SC1s on the rear, SC2 on the front, maybe. Huh. Um, super soft tires. They were... Like every three sessions, they were putting new tires on. Were they? Uh, yeah, I was going to ask off. And they, uh, what was the weather like? Perfect, like seventy s- degrees, oh. sunny, gorgeous, beautiful day in Tuscany. Um, and it's just, and then like it's it's such a fun track. It's but it's a hard track. Like I would say, you have to go because it's 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 just such an iconic kind of historical thing. Yeah, but I'm not going to rank Magello very high on my list of like fun tracks to ride. And part of it's because the entry for all these turns is really wide, but the exits are really narrow. So, like, you have to be really precise with your lines. And, like, we were joking, like, all of us. And I've been funny because I've been reading the reviews of the other guys on the trip and looking at the photos. None of us are anywhere near an apex. (laughs) Partially because, like, the photographers only shot our earlier sessions. And, like, the sessions were a mess. It was a crazy, like, I could get into the whole logistics of this press launch and how what a mess it was um, for for the track day. Um... But like 
the first few sessions, like all of us are having to learn the circuit and we're totally off because like you get a little bit offline and your exit's totally fucked and you're off apex. And you know, for me, it takes me one or two sessions to learn a track, usually closer to two. Is it a learner friendly track? Like are there, no. are there markers? Oh uh, yeah, there's markers, but it's just, there's these, there's two chicanes or well, there's three chicanes, I guess, technically. But there, you if you don't get your entry right into the first turn, you're done. You're not getting your entry right to the second turn, and you're kind of fucked. Because and then they they narrow down. There's a lot of elevation. Um, it almost seems like an equal amount of right left. Mm, you're more on the right. You're doing more work on the right hand side. The left hand sides aren't too bad. So I'm like thinking like um, turns two three. That's a chicane. Four five. That's a chicane. But if you look at Six seven looks chicane-ish. It, but no, but six starts the drop down the hill to Savelli. Mm. So Savelli is not that hard of a turn because you're you're actually on the gas almost the entire time. You're trying to, you know, keep the weight off the front so you don't tuck it. Mm-hmm. And then you're just trying to build speed into Arabata one. Sorry. Yep. Arabiata. I always fuck this up. Arabiata one. Which is a fast right hand turn that takes you up the hill. Two to and you have to roll that. Arabiata two, which is <laughs> kind of like a blind entry, which was, well, was my favorite turn. But yeah, all the hard turns are basically rights. Uh, I remember what, getting out done with the track. My right leg was way more tired than my <laughs> left leg was. Um. So so let's talk about the bike. Was it was it everything? <sighs> did it work perfectly? So the thing with this bike that's that's interesting or that's special it's um it's got a 1078 cc displacement so they're, right. they're chasing ducati down the cheater displacement they're doing the path. cheater thing yep uh same displacement as the tuono 1100 the cases on those engines between the tuono and the rsv4 are the same the internals are completely different so you could bolt an rsv4 1100 motor into a tuono if you wanted to be like super rad like that yeah but you're not going to be able to source parts from aprilia for an rsv4 and hot rod your tuono with them because they're just two different internally um it's 214 horsepower it's 217 italian horsepower because there's differences in that so like you'll see some people talk about this bike is 217 horsepower mm-hmm. it's not it's 214 it's 158.5 kilowatts of power that's, one's got that's gelato off the top of my one's head. got ice cream that's totally off the top of my head we should look that up and see how close i am with that um and it's got wings it's got wings. So are these you know, the same wings that they put on the factory last year? Ooh, one fifty nine point six. That was close. You were very close. Um, I think it's the Ducati. That's one fifty eight point five. That might be. These are yeah, they're very similar, if not the same. Um, and and it's interesting what they're what Aprilia says they're for. It's not so much like wheelie control coming out of the turn. It's more high end stability, and it helps. I think the thing that they have the most practical use for is at high speeds, they help load the suspension for when you get on the brakes. Hmm. So that was really noticeable for me coming on the, down the straightaway, grabbing the fistful of brakes. There isn't a lot of body roll. You don't feel the suspension compressed because the suspension's already been compressed by the wings. They they do um, where they generate 18 pounds of pressure. That's impressive. At 186 miles an hour or whatever it is. I think it's 300. Yeah, I think at 300 kmh, it's 18 pounds of pressure. So that's enough to to like help preload the suspension and 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 do the thing. And then as an option, they also have brake scoops, which 
definitely are functional and, and there's a lot of like reasons kind of why, because the fork tubes on our Aprilia's are a lot more narrow. So the brake discs aren't as far out into the wind, whether or not you really need them. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, you know, the way you ride Jensen, uh, I mean, <laughs> truthfully at the end of the day, like, so here's like my review in the nutshell. Like I, I literally wrote like a TLDR on it and it was, um, if you want to ride bike, you should buy this bike. This bike is rad. This is an awesome bike. Like the, the I don't have too many complaints. It still has the side by side, side to side, uh, roll. It's is slow. I should say slower than its competitors. It still handles really well. And, and that comes with the trade off that when it's on its side, it's a really stable bike. So when it comes to like trade offs, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but like I said, like if you already have a rad bike in your garage, like let's say the previous generation RSV4, no reason, no reason to upgrade. Um, I already think a 200 horsepower superbike is more than a handful, and this was even more of a handful. Like it's just how much fun you're not having that much more fun with the traction control lights. You know, like you're already able to get the front wheel. <laughs> not even looking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you're already it's already easy to slip the rear wheel. It's already easy to get the front wheel up. Does it have anything extra, any additional electronic goodies no, that make it? it's pretty much the same. So now all you're getting basically is a displacement bump. You're getting more uh, top end. You're getting I do wings. enjoy the little more muted colors with the sort of like that titanium and It, it and looks super thing. good in person. That, yeah. That's the thing. Like I say, like if you're in the market, if you, if you like, like I have a 15-year-old super bike in my garage thinking about upgrading. This is the bike I'm going to buy. Really? Well, no, I take that back because I'm a total Scrooge. So I'm gonna still probably go buy the RSV4 yeah, RR. They probably have five thousand dollars. Yeah, save like ten thousand dollars in the process. <laughs> but you know, like, like if dollars to donuts, like out of the 2019 bikes, I think this is this is a great bike to have. Um, what is this directly competing with? Uh, Panigale V4S. But the V4S has electronic suspension. V4S has electronic suspension, which and they did a really good job with the way that you interact with this with the suspension uh, on the dash and do yeah. the setup and all that yep. i was very impressed by that what's the price delta um math in my head thirty five hundred dollars thirty but they're both Olins still right they're both Olins. uh i don't i mean it's I, we made some adjustments to my bike it was super easy um <clears throat> that's sort of I, the, I don't think i would admit i i don't miss having electronic suspension yeah, and that's the remark I was going to make. Most people that buy motorcycles, especially a bike like this, we're, it's not like we're handing it from person to person to person, no. right? It's your bike. It's going to end up in your garage. You're going to set it up probably once for your weight settings and then go and ride it. How often are you going to mess with that suspension setup? The thing that was cool, so to compare and contrast, I did the Panigale V4S launch at Valencia. What was that? Two years ago? A year ago? I've already lost time. I've been gone so long, oh, wow, Shaheen. The years, they they mesh together. <laughs> but I remember coming out of the the final turn on Valencia, getting onto the front straight, and getting a lot of head shake as I clicked through the gears. Really? And it was a little bit of a buck and wild ride. And came in, and you could just really easily pull up on the dash. Oh, I want more front end stability. And you just like, you literally just like toggle a thing from like left to right. Yeah. And, and they say like more stability, more front end fill feel and you're like yeah i want more of that and then i was also like oh i want to soft you know tighten this up here and that like it just make it very intuitive like you don't have to be a crew chief you don't have to have like special suspension knowledge to set up the panigale v4s with the electronic suspension because they've made it very 
explainable and user-friendly. They yeah. talk to you in layman's terms. Terms. Terms? Terms. Am I drunk? I don't know. Is this what... It's because you're drinking Diet Coke, I, man. Diet Coke, man. Fucking, I'm used to seeing a green drink next to you. Now you're drinking a dark brown drink, and you're saying layman's turns. Turns. That turns really easy. Turns. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a complex turn. It's not a chicane. It's no chicane right here. Turn. So I like that. I like that fact that it made it really easy. You didn't have to have like a PhD in Ducati to figure it out. In layman's turns. But... Um, that being said, I knew what I needed to come out of the turn. I was like, oh, man, I need a little bit more. Right. I need a little bit more compression. I need to stiffen up the rear because it's a little too soft. And then I like, I was like, and I want like one or two more clicks on the steering damper. And like, so I knew what I wanted to change. And it was the same thing when I was at the RSV4 launch. I was like, oh, you know, we're getting a little rear end slip. We're getting a little pump. Just need a little bit more rebound. Just need a couple clicks of rebound. And then I just kind of generally need to stiffen everything up. Just needed a very basic wrench, like a little preload, a little more compression, a little rebound. I was good to go. It wasn't like rocket science what I needed. And I got out of those bikes the changes that I needed very quickly because the Olin suspension's like it's it's finger control, it's finger changes. Yeah. The only thing you, you need a wrench for driver. is the uh the preload for the forks. So you know it's interesting though, because we were just talking about the Husky versus the KTM and their $3,500 difference, and the Husky's supposed to be the premium one, and here we're talking about their Prelia versus the Ducati and their $3,500 difference, but for that $3,500 Delta for the Ducati, you're getting a little, probably a little easier user interface when it comes to suspension setup. Yeah, um, you, I, get, I, you get a little bit, I would say you're getting about $1,500 more in actual technical change. Like if you're going to put electronic suspension on the RC4, yeah. they would probably have to increase the price $1,500. Yep. And then, I mean, the lights on the Ducati are all LED. I think these these Aprilias all come with... No, all LED. Or are they all LED? I think they're all halogen. Every bike now is all LED. Hmm. You'd be hard-pressed. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, it's funny because you actually like this bike even though it doesn't have the additions of the of the Ducati's Olins. I think for me, I love the Panigale before, and I really want to get these bikes on the same track because I really sit here and I'm like, I don't know which one's the better bike. I, I think because it's going to cut close. Those tracks are so different. Yeah. Uh, and I got to ride the Panigale V4S at Kailami too. So I've got a little bit more experience with that. Um, I, I Truthfully, I think like some of the things I don't like about the RC4 is because it was that Magello and Magello is a workout. And um, how was the bike stability throughout something like that? Well, I mean, the bike, like the RC4 is one of the most stable bikes on the market. Like that's the thing. Like you, it's a slow bike and it's side to side transitions and the roll of the chassis. Right. But that's because it's so stable when it's on its side. That's just, it's just so planted. And that's one of the things like that. They, that's why I say like, I would gladly take the trade off. Um, cause the roll thing, you only really notice when you hop on, like say like a Honda. Yeah. Which is one that I think the most nimblest super bikes on the market. And you're like, Oh fuck, that's what you could do. Oh wow. That is a difference. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. But you don't sit there and go like, oh man, this bike is so much work to get over on its side. You're not like that. It's just, it's just when you do a back and forth, you see the difference. Um, but that side stability, man, that thing is planted. Like when you're on your knee, that thing is solid. It's just not moving around under you. Not and going anywhere. Where are you going? Nowhere. <laughs> um, interesting that uh, Prilia is sticking with the 200. 55 profile not a 60 not a 60 wow. that like ducati has gone to you think that might have to do a little bit with that heavier rolling no no no. i feel like a 60 would solve that issue in theory it should be better huh 
So I don't know. I mean, I would love to 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 pursue that. I wonder if you can fit one. I've, I I know on some of these super bikes, the the, the traction call gets a little weird. Yeah. I, I don't know how that works. I think there's a calibration on the RC4 that you can do. I'd have to talk to Aprilia about it. Um, but in a nutshell, first bike that I've ever, ever ridden with winglets. Don't know if, again, at a track I've never been on, with a bike I've never been on at that track with. I couldn't really tell you if they did a thing or not. I do think there's a difference there in the braking. I don't know about the stability. Like, There's a bit of a bump coming around start-finish at Magello mm-hmm. that disrupts the chassis, and I thought that the RC4 was really stable going over it having nothing to compare that to i can't tell you if it was any worse or better i wish they had a bike without the wings for you to ride just so you can get a i do too a real honest opinion on what the wing does for you especially at a fast track like that and you know what i think if the day had been a little bit better organized so so what happened was we had like a boat ton of journalists i think we had like 50 journalists for 15 bikes so what they did is two groups of two and normally like you would do four groups and just every 15 minutes in the hour is when you go. So you're like 9 to 9.15, you go. Right. 10 to 10.15, you go. And you know, 11.15, you know, so on and so forth. Probably didn't do that, though. They were like, okay, we're going to split you into two groups. One group's going to ride in the morning, and one group's going to ride in the evening or mm. in the afternoon. And then within those groups, it's going to be two more groups. So one group on, one group off. And then you, f- and you switch. So we didn't get on the bikes until like 2.30 in the afternoon. And then it was like on the bike at 2.30, on the bike at 3 o'clock, on the bike at 3.30. So you're going like these 15 minutes on, 15 minutes off, over and over, like at a track that's a workout. So like we were really, really busting our ass to get the the laps in. And by like the fourth (laughs) session, I was wiped. How much pizza did you eat that night? A lot of pizza. All the pizzas. (laughs) We ate so much food. Oh One goodness. of my favorite things when you travel is when you look for uh, for ice cream. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I didn't have. I had gelato only once. What? Yeah, I know. <sighs> yeah, I had a lot of pasta though. Oh, that's okay. Oh my god, so many pastas. But it would have been cool if we'd had a little bit more time and there was a little bit more bikes. Like, be like, okay, yeah, hey, I'm gonna go out this session because if you had like five, six sessions, I I only really need like four sessions to review a bike. Especially, I, well, let's put it this way: I only need two sessions to learn a track. And I only need like two or three sessions on a bike to know the bike. Right. So four sessions on a bike learning while I'm running the track is fine. So it'd be great to have like a session or two extra be like, yeah, okay, hop on a bike without the wings, hop on the lower spec bike, yeah, hop on a different bike. You know, that would have been cool. And that's not very common at press launches. Um, I remember the R6 launch, they had the old version out for us to go ride. And that was really interesting to see because you could sit there and go like, oh yeah, okay, I see that one little thing you changed. I see how it's really subtly different and in reality it makes no change to me like and i think that's probably one of the fears they have right yeah like what's the point of you riding that and the lower spec bike and going eh, honestly lower spec bike's not well, that bad truthfully the last time we did the uh rsv4 we did it was a we were at coda and we did both trims of the tuono and both trims of the rsv4 and but we had like six sessions to do it this is where it makes like a lot more sense like hey i already know the track i only need two sessions on each trim level to know what What's what's up? Yeah. In reality, when I'm doing back to back on trims, I only need one session on each trim level to know that it's the difference. So that was cool to be able to be like, oh yeah, RSV4 RF versus RSV4 RR. Oh yeah, okay, I see what the difference is. Like, own suspension a little bit better. Wheels not, are lighter, but not that much better. Wheels are lighter. Yeah. Wheels make a big difference. And, but like sitting going like, yeah, for my money, I'm getting the RR. <laughs> and I think that's where I'm still at now. I'm still like, for my money. I'm still getting the RR. 17.5 MSRP versus 
there is dealerships right now that are selling them for thirteen thousand dollars uh yeah there are i see them all the time and at that price you're insane to buy anything else that's yeah that's that's a 600 cc price range until the panigale v4 came out the rsv4r was my pick for the number one super bike that's still up there for me and i'm still sitting there kind of going like now that the 1100's out might still be might still be (laughs) and for the and for the price like what i'm gonna buy I love the Panigale V4S. I think it's an amazing machine. But, but it's $27,500 cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> I will take an RR all day long. $27,500. And if you live in a state and that's not Oregon, you're going to pay taxes on that too, buddy. Craziness. Craziness. Woo. For a bike, I would probably never want to ride on the street. It gets hot. Truthfully, you know what I really want to do? Get the factory, one of the factory works bikes. Because I'm not going to take this on the street. I'm just not <laughs> going to. It, I've got other bikes in my garage that are way more comfortable, better suited for it, better time. Like that Goldwing. Got that Goldwing. I got that Goldwing life. My Dude. Street Fighter. My fuck my Supermoto. Yeah, you got all the upright, comfortable bikes. I would get one of those factory works bikes. Those things are rad. Uh, they came out with a, uh, they're calling the RSV4X. They're only making 10 of them. Whoa. And that's got some factory works parts in the Wait, motor. Wait, how much is that going to be? It's like 40 Gs. It's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, you're not going to be able to buy it. No, it's, it's already, already sold, sold out. out. It's already gone. But it's like 165 pounds dry. It's basically a world superbike for poor people. For poor people. How many poor 40, people can buy a $40,000 track bike? Man, you are from California. <laughs> <laughs> San Francisco poverty line for a household. $117,000. Like yeah, it's ridiculous. It's insane. Come <laughs> on. Oh, it hurts my head to think about it. So it's it's... Yeah, it's an amazing bike. I can't wait to do a comparison with the V4, the Panigale V4, and maybe throw the BMW in there. Yeah, you got that new bike coming out. There's talk of like a mini Superbike Deathmatch, which uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that. PTSD. Listen, I, I think you need to simplify your next Superbike Deathmatch. You should oh, do oh, absolutely. a Euro version and a Japanese version. No, I think it's just going to be the three new bikes for 2019. That's it? It's just going to be like, hey, these are the new bikes. The bike that would that in my mind won the spiritual last death matches in there. So like I feel like yeah, it's just like the elimination round, <laughs> it's the cage match. One one day, one track day, maybe maybe like a weekend if it's the a weekend German track versus day. two Italians. I mean, it's like the original Axis. Yeah, <laughs> where were we? We, we kind of brought that up. Oh, we were at the Gucci factory and they made like a Eagle's Nest reference. Because like <laughs> it was like a lost interchange. It was like this is the nest of the eagle, because the Moto Gucci logo is an eagle. Right. The nest of the eagle, this is this is the eagle's nest. And I was like, listen, whoa, 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 whoa. Easy, whoa. easy, easy. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. One, we totally bombed this factory during World War II. And too soon. Don't, don't, don't make us do it again. Cause we got a guy in the office who like, will do it right now. We still remember where you guys were on this one. <laughs> Come on. That wasn't so long ago. Um yeah, no, it's like I literally like I'm still processing it, Shaheen. I, I I think I posted like a photo up on my personal Facebook account and literally just said like my mind still boggles because it's still there. Like processing that track and what it's like to ride like that straight away, and then there's a, you know, all the turns are pretty cool, and then that bike with all that power. I mean, it's just I'm at the point now where I think I've gotten old man, where I'm just like 214 horsepower. Where is this the limit? This is you've reached it now. It's just so it's almost what it's not quite like 10, enough is enough. It's not quite ten percent more horsepower than the previous model, but let's just round up and say it is. This bike is not ten percent more fun to ride. 
if anything, it's Probably like ten percent more work to, to it's ride. Like two percent less fun to ride. <laughs> you know, it's just like one of those things. Where like the diminishing return on horsepower. We are there. I mean, that's the thing we've always talked about with people who want to start doing track days with us, and you know, who want to buy a leader bike because that's the king dingling bike to buy, right? And it's like, no, dude, a six hundred is so much more fun because you're not working so fucking hard. That's the thing. So. I have no doubt that my lap time on this bike, uh, any track, is going to be quicker than the RR, which is a 999 yeah. motor. Um, and probably by like two, three tenths of a second. So th- from that perspective, like, yes, it's better. But from a fun perspective, I don't think it's there. Like, I'm just not having any more fun on it than I am no. on, a, on a true leader bike. And that's where I think things are getting a little, like, ridiculous. Where it's like, you know what? I don't really want more power. But I wouldn't mind like another 50 pounds off of it. Yeah. You know, give me that. So that's where that the 660 the new- comes in. Well, that's where the 660 comes in. And that's what I was saying at the track day. I was like, I would love to come back to Magello on a 600. Although to come back to Magello, I hope they do the RS660 launch at Magello. Yeah. Because I think that would be way more enjoyable. Because that front straight at like 150, 160. You're done. I'd be way better. I'd, yeah. have, I'd have way more like attention, like mental bandwidth to process all of it. You go through the corners easier. What do you know? Jensen is a mere mortal after all. Well, you know, I think I didn't really get to talk to, uh, we had a we had a really fast group. We had Troy Ciahan. We had Ari Henning. We had Zach Kortz. We had um, uh, Nick DeSena uh, again was with me. <laughs> Did he send it then too? We 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 were like buddies for that trip. We were both. He was there through the whole for two weeks with me, uh, through the whole Piaggio group stuff that we were doing, and then he had to leave for the um, for the uh, Svartpilen stuff, uh, the Husky stuff. He was. They had a different person coming. They had Kelly coming. Um, who else was with us in that group? Yeah, I can't remember. But I mean, we had, we had we had some fast dudes, and I remember, I remember Ari just blowing by me going I mean, into he's turn no, one. He's no pushover, man. And I was like, "How fucking fast were you going down that front straight?" <laughs> but I don't remember anyone being like, "Oh my god, like the power is so much better." Like, like he's got a photo because they had like the the GoPro stuff on like their chest, so he has a couple cool photos of the dash. Right. So that's how I know he hit three twelve at some point. Because he's got a photo of it. Also, Ari looks like he weighs 160 pounds wet. Rennie was with us, too, from Cycle News. So, yeah, super fast dude. And I think he has some photos, too. But, yeah, Rennie's got a photo of him doing, like, 309 or 310 with the traction control light and the wheelie control light lit up as he's going over the start finish. So, he's wheeling, (laughs) power wheeling at 190 miles an hour. (laughs) And you're like that's like the thing where it's just like it's I mean it's cool and it's rad, but like to do that you have to be committed and super focused. Yeah. So like the only reason we know these things is because of GoPro. So it's not like any of us are looking down like, oh yeah, three oh nine, three ten, three eleven. Oh, better turn and hit my brake marker. <laughs> oh yeah, it's about lunchtime. We're gonna have pasta for lunch. <laughs> no man, you're fucking committed. No, I bet each lap is like a blur. It's just. It just hurts. It physically hurt. Like I had a my jaw uh, hurt afterwards because it was hitting my helmet, the front of my helmet. And I think you had like one of the slipperiest me. helmets in the industry, right? It now. really does. I've 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 ridden in just about every track helmet, and the AGV piece to GPR is one of the slipperiest. The Icon actually, um, what is it called? I always get their names messed up. I want to say Airframe, 
They're but, frame pro probably. Is that the road race one? Because I also get I get that fucked up with the ADV one. Oh, that's the that's the variant. The variant. Yeah. Yeah. Air, Air, Airframe Pro, I think, is it's more narrow. And so it's a little slipperier, but it's more of a wing. So if you t- start turning your head, it catches it. Then it starts catching yeah. it. Whereas the AGV is good pretty much in every angle. But yeah, I mean, that's why I wear it on the track because it's it's the slipperiest helmet on the market, you know, for, for when you're doing your work. And man, was it just like I was just in the wind. And I think like if I had a double bubble windscreen, that would have helped. I always think the RSV4 fairings could be wider. Like like you look at their their test rider, I could put them in my pocket. Yeah, I was gonna say you're. you're I mean, you're a big dude for a motorcycle racer. I'm six two and I got broad I'm shoulders. I'm dying to see you on your Kramer doing race season. Well, the Kramer doesn't go that fast. That's why I know, but fine. still, you're huge. Like you're gonna yeah. be like, hey, I'm gonna wear this Kramer real quick. Why well, do I think I gotta get on the shred diet, man? <laughs> I can't wait Project to have a burger with you later. Oh my god, yeah, burger. I'm, oh, I'm hungry. I went to hey, the gym. He'll, I'm he'll, he'll make it protein style if you don't want to have bread. Two burgers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so it was interesting. To, 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 you bring up the R660 because it's interesting because that was that was there as well on display. So before the day before our track day, our press test, um, they did what's called Aprilia All Stars, which is kind of like this isn't fair, but it's kind of like Aprilia's versions of like Ducati World Ducati Week. Okay, it's just like an event at Mugello. They got all their racers there. They're kind of unveiling their team. They unveiled that RSV4X. Was there like a like owners club uh, meeting there too, or what? I don't know. If there even is such a thing. But they had bikes on display, and one of them was the RS660 concept. So we got a bunch of photos of it and got to put it up. Good looking uh, bike. I was online. looking at it. Looks really good in person. Um, our French colleagues at Moto Station um, got word that confirmed that it's a 2020 model. Okay. Which had kind of been the rumor already. So we'll see that debut at ICMA um, in a slightly different form. I don't think it's going to have the the aerodynamic fairing like it's been shown off. I think that's going to be something separate that'll end up on the next generation RSV4, which will probably be out as a 2021 model, if I had to guess. Wasn't that kind of the selling point of the RS660 though? The the well, I mean, they're doing a couple things there because like it's a concept. Right. So they're showing off this new active aerodynamics thing that they've got going on. And it just doesn't make sense on a 660. No. You're just not going to use it. But it makes a lot of sense on a 1,000 or an 1,100 as you were. But the big thing is they're showing off their twin-cylinder motor, which is directly derived from the RSV4. It's basically with the rear cylinder bank lopped off. And when you look at it, it's, there's a lot of things that line up. It looks yeah. very close in, in design. Um, I, like I think it. that bike should like, make like about 100 about horsepower. That's, That's my guess. Plenty, man. Which is ridiculous out of a 660. Yeah. Now, the displacement will be interesting. It's, if they keep it at 660, like the name suggests, they're really going to fuck themselves up on that bike. Because racing-wise, twins are 650s. You've I got bet the, it'll be a 649. You've got the SV650. You've got the um, Kawasaki Ninja 650. Right. You've got the Honda CBR650. There's a whole thing of around 650s, like in these kind of like middleweight classes. Mm-hmm. And if you make it a 660 in a lot of like amateur clubs, it puts it on a different level. You're just not going to be able to race it in like no. the class you should be able to race it in. So I hope, I hope, I hope it's a 649cc twin. Yeah. I don't know how they get there with that, but we'll see. But it looks rad. I mean, everybody's rounding up nowadays. So <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like the. Uh, the 1100? Yeah. The RC4 1100? 1078. There you go. It's not really there. No. Yeah. 
So um, really curious to see what that is. Um, Shaheen, we had a listener question, didn't we, about track days? We we've had a lot of questions, and it, it was we got a little time. Let's let's do that. We got a little time. Let's uh, uh caller number one. Where are we, where are we at in our? <laughs> let me look at our notes. Where are we in our thing? Yeah, yeah, we got a little time. I think they were talking about body positioning and things like that. Well, so they wanted to talk about specifically for track day riding, you know, body positioning. But I think I want to kind of go above and beyond that. Let's talk about, you know. General track day prep far as what you're going to take with you uh, physically and mentally. I mean, you just dealt with one of the most epic track days ever. Yeah. You know, I think you bring up the mental side of it. And I think that's perfectly timed. And actually, I want to write a story about this, but yeah, we'll give you the Diet Coke version. I like it. Give me. Because, and I think it was the circumstance of it, but this is one of the first times in a long while where I think I kind of got psyched out. Um, and I think it was because we had to sit around for like literally five hours, six hours to get our chance to go ride the track. And then everyone talks about like Magello, like it's this like cathedral where like the heavens open <laughs> up and the light shines down upon thee and his holy noodliness comes down in his oh, tentacle. appendage. His noodly appendage drew out the lines of Magello that thee now graces with his motorbike. Um, you know, people talk about Magello like in a very like almost religious sort of way. And maybe that's the Italianness of it. Maybe it's because it's in the hills of Tuscany and it's just, it's a rad track. It's yeah. plain and simple. I think you got to experience firsthand what a lot of first time track riders experience. Yeah. And, right? it's and that I hadn't psych-out. had that in a while and it is the psych out. And I think it's because we had just a lot of time to chew on it and to watch other people go. It's a little intimidating to get on a 200 horsepower super bike. Um, well, 214 is even more like, like 200 doesn't really phase me that much, which is weird. So that was like the, one of the things that was like, so like I remember hopping on the bike or like just getting ready to hop on it and having like a little bit of a butterfly. I was going like, huh? Yeah. Haven't had that in a while because like for whatever it is, like hopping on a new motorcycle for me is, is a part of the skill set now. Um, and that's one of the things I have to remind myself as like a motorcycle journalist is that I'm very accustomed and very comfortable hopping on a new machine. And I remember when I was a younger rider or a newer rider, how very foreign that was. Like if you only ride your motorcycle. Yeah, there's trepidation with somebody you, else's bike. Especially if you only own one motorcycle and then hop on someone else's, it feels like you're on Mars. Oh, yeah. Like, the, oh, fuck, man, the bar's the wrong way and the, the yeah, levers aren't where I like them. Right. And why is the shifter down here? And my butt's up in the air and what the hell? And... It, that right there can really screw you up as a rider. And it it really is like a learned thing. Like you have to hop on a lot of different bikes with regularity to learn how to just be like, okay, I'm on the bike. This is my office. Brakes here. Da, da, da. And like it literally takes me like 10 feet to calibrate. That's that's pretty amazing. That it, shows how, how much you're riding though, you know? Yeah. And, that's, and how many and, different bikes you're riding. And I'm trying to think like how many bikes I've jumped on in my career now in 10 years. A hundred? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. Probably more. Well, maybe not. Maybe not more. Fifty? A hundred? Whatever it is, it's way more than the typical rider. And I have to remind myself that that's, that's a skill set. Yep. That's something that's learned. And that makes it a lot easier to hop on a new motorcycle at a new track. And then to have the experience of, like, I've, I've had a lot of seat time on the RC4. I've had a lot of seat time on super bikes in general. I'm very comfortable riding at the track. I I learn tracks after a couple sessions. I know my 
I know my process in that. Mm-hmm. And so like jumping on a 214 horsepower bike, where it's like, wow, that's a lot more power than I've had before. But like, it doesn't really phase me. So there's just a lot of, but there was a lot of interesting things. And to be fair, we had a colleague in our group who had like a full meltdown. And part of their problem was um, they got on a bike and the previous person had made changes to it that they weren't told about. And it wasn't how they ride a motorcycle. So they got out there and started doing things and was like, what the fuck this bike is doing what it's supposed to do. Right. And that, that can like throw you off. And if you've already kind of got like, like I did, like a little bit of butterflies for, for whatever reason, it can just get in your head. And, you know, basically I watched him in the pits have a meltdown and he, and, and like we kept talking throughout the day and he was really frustrated and like he was totally up in his head. And like, I, I just listened to him like, I totally know what you're going through and I get it, but like, you know, that's just tough. And that was one of the things that's like, really interesting for me um as a as a i used to race sailboats Mm -hmm. so i get that kind of racers mentality um and like the sports psychology side of it like for me like like there's very much like i have a process and i knew like as soon as i got on the bike i was like i'm gonna have a shit for a session but i know i'm gonna have a shit for a session because i gotta learn the track i've gotta learn this bike i gotta learn the changes to this bike it's a bike i'm very familiar with but i'm gonna have to learn some changes yeah um, there's some things that are different. I'm going to need to learn to know where the track was. And I remember Zach Quartz came around me and we were talking. He, he like, he was blowing by me and he came in and he was like, oh yeah, I ran into you at turn three. You look like you didn't know where you were. And I was like, yeah, like I literally didn't know if I was turning left or right. Cause like, I literally didn't know where I was in the track. He's like, yeah, it really, I could tell like it, it wasn't like, oh, you weren't like on it because you know, you were at the limit. It was just obvious you just didn't know where you were going. Yeah. And we had like a chuckle over it. And I'm like, yeah, first session. Well, especially for someone like you that typically knows what the hell they're doing. Well, it's just, it was just like, it was just funny to me, like how obvious, like to him, it was that I was just lost in the woods. And I remember like the first time I rode Coda, when we, when we rode Coda for the Panigale, our launch five years ago, whatever, we were the first motorcyclists ever there. Oh, shit. And there was a point in time when there was like a journalist in just about in every gravel trap because it's a very flat track. <laughs> right. You have to get your entries right. It's really easy to kind of fuck it up. And like that's kind of was like everyone's like going like, fuck, we're all learning this track for the first time. So there's a process of just like, yeah, first session. I'm basically going to go out there. I was basically at a street pace learning the track for probably the first two, three laps. And then like by the fourth fifth lap like i'm going a little bit faster but like i touched my knee down in a few turns let's put it that way it wasn't like i was going on that's a very important thing to i think remind people especially beginner to intermediate track day riders incremental pace uh uh, time you know speed increases are i think very very important and and taking those little baby steps are so important because if you start jumping from you know, lap to lap and just kind of getting faster and faster at a jumping pace as opposed to a baby pace, you're going to have such a small, uh, you know, amount of room for error. Yeah. I think what riders need to understand is on the mental side of it, speed's a byproduct. Speed isn't an input. It's an, it's a byproduct of primarily rider confidence. Yeah. And that was that was the thing I think that my colleague was really struggling with because he was so far off the pace, at least in his head he was. I remember passing him. He wasn't going that slow. You know, like, yeah, I got around him, but I'm a faster rider than he is generally. So I was like, 
I didn't like, I wasn't astonished by how quickly I caught him and how quickly I passed. I was like, yeah, you're kind of right where I expect you to be, you know, yeah, but in his mind's eye, but that's the thing in his mind. And that was the thing. Like he was frustrated that he wasn't going faster and he wasn't doing the thing. And I think that's the backwards way of looking at it, where it's like, don't worry about the speed, worry about your confidence. And so like one of the things that I do, and this is like a trickle over from sailing. Like when I was in sailing, I very much had a process of how I rigged the boat, how I put in the water, what I did in the boat before the start, what I did the boat when the first gun went off, what I did the in the boat a minute before the start the starting gun goes. So when the starting gun goes, I was ready and I was mentally ready for it. And I do the same thing mentally on a bike, but just different process. And for me, rider confidence is so intrinsically linked to body position. When I'm not confident, I make it a distinct effort to put my body in the correct way. That, and that's the same. That's how like I mitigate when we ride on the track. And the Smart Pillin launch, the 701 Smart Pillin, Smart Pillin 701, a little dyslexia there. <laughs> um, we were at a very fast street pace. We were at a very fast street pace. And we've had some motorcycle journalists lately complain about the pace for the press rides. And, and they weren't there at this launch. And I was like, oh, if they were there, they would have a field day. Because we were just, <laughs> we were just hauling the mail. And so when we start getting into that pace where I'm starting to go like, okay, this is no longer a leisurely ride. Now we're getting serious. We're going through turns. We're railing. And we're on like city streets that are blind. And I am 100% trusting the person in front of me to, to read the road. And right. I'm reading them. And right. the person behind me is reading me. <laughs> You're just following a taillight. And yeah. And the way I mitigate that is with my body position. I'm like, okay. Like for me, I have a lot more confidence. I'm like, going to get my butt off the seat. I'm going to hang off the bike a little bit more. Because now I'm in the position physically that if I have to go 10 tenths, my body's ready for it. I'm right. there. And I also know I've kind of have like this calibrated thing now with my body position and where my body is when I go through the turn that, that I know what, I know when I'm at a 45 degree angle, when I hit my knee to the ground, I'm at 45 degrees. Right. And then as I push further and further, I know I'm going past that. And just about any sport tire and just about any situation is fine at 45 degrees. Yep. That's my safety point. I know like I'm here, I'm at 45 degrees. I'm safe. I, my head might be going off bonkers. I might not know what the fuck's going on. The road could turn into shit in the next minute. But right now, I'm safe. And that's the same thing when I'm on the track. When I'm like, okay, don't know if I'm going left. Don't know if I'm going right. Don't know my brake markers. Don't my thing. I'm just going to get my body out there. I'm just going to get the right body position and start Start slow. Start at a street pace and slowly go faster. Slowly like, okay, this turn, I think I turn in here. This turn, I turn there. And you just slowly work it up. And by the kind of the end of the second session, now I'm hitting my knees down in just about every turn. Now I'm starting to be like, okay, now, yeah, this one you connect here. Oh, this one I want to go a bit later, a little bit later. Okay, yeah, I hit that apex. By the third and fourth session, now I'm like, okay, now I can go full charge. Okay, I'm let's go back go. a little bit. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the slow-mo version of what does Jensen do to, to achieve body position, right? <laughs> what are you doing? Because most people don't like help your listener visualize what it is you do. Where are your feet? Where's your ass compared to the edge of the seats? Where are your where are your elbows? Where's your head? Yeah. It's so hard to do over podcasts to do on audio. So I'll give it a try. Balls of my feet on the pegs. I get my ass off the seat. So like let's say I'm going through a right hand turn. Mm -hmm. Only my left cheek of my ass is on the seat. And 
I'll have my body leaned over the tank. So, you know, almost my chest is touching the tank in a way. And my goal is to get my head where the right-hand mirror would be. Okay. So whatever side I'm turning, I want my head to be almost where that mirror would be. I'm like, and you're I'm turning like, to I'm look like, through I'm like the literally turn. doing it while I'm over here. Uh, yeah, I was watching it. I like it. Um, gripping the tank with my legs, with my knees, trying to be loose with my hands and my elbows. Um, so don't have a death grip on your bars. Definitely don't want to have a death grip, but you know, like that again, like that's a subconscious thing. Like yeah. you'll, you won't realize you're doing it until you come in and you're like, oh, why do my hands have calluses on? Well, no, it's interesting. I've had to teach myself to kind of ease up on my grip a little bit because it's, I think it's human nature you know when you feel tense and you're doing this thing especially when you're not used to doing it all the time you tense up a little bit so your hands Absolutely. get a little bit and and i can see in photos where when i'm tense i don't have my head where it should be i'll get a little crossed up right and that's because like i'm not thinking about where my body is mm -hmm. and i'm getting apprehensive and that's where i have to like make a conscious effort like hey i'm tense right now i'm not doing this right get the confidence back get your body in the right place because once you have your body, like truthfully, when you have your body in the right place, then you have less lean. And now like, and then you feel safer. You're going faster, but you're feeling safer. Right. And then you can start applying it and applying it and applying it. And then I get to that point where I'm like, okay, my knees on the ground. I'm at 45 degrees. I'm safe. And then I can go through the turn and go, go through that pace. I'm like, this is what a safe pace feels like. I'm using the words right. But right. that's how it is Relatively, in my head. Right. My head, like it's, it's green light safe. And then I can start going like, oh, that turn. Yeah, I really want to get on the gas on that turn because I need to keep the weight off the front wheel or I need to load up the front or, or whatever it is I need to do. And like then I can start playing around with the little with the different things on on, you know, more uh, trade craft and motorcycle. Are you keeping your elbows up or tucking them in when you're going to a turn? Um, I don't get my elbows out like some of the elbow dragger guys do. Right. Mine more a little bit more in, but I would say generally they're 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 up. But they're just not as up as most people. So you're on the balls of your feet on the pegs, your ass cheeks on the seat. So if you're going right, your left ass cheeks on the seat. It's fair to say your ass cracks in the on the seam of the seat, maybe on the side. Yeah, just about. I mean, here's the thing: like any new track rider, there's always going to be like a photographer at those days. Oh yeah, buy the photos because you can go out there, you can listen to everything I just said, and try and replicate it yourself. And go, but if, but if you get the photo, you're going to realize like, oh, I ain't doing shit. Yeah. Like it is such an exaggerated position. It looks to what you like feel versus what it actually looks like and what it actually is. Yeah. That you have to get kind of used to that. But yeah, my ass is basically like I literally have like one ass on the seat and the other one's so like the, the edge of the seat's in my crack. I'll never forget the first time I went through a turn and you know, I was I was told by the instructor to all right, I need you to get off the seat more. I need you to lean more on the on the tank a little bit, get off of it, put your head, put your chin where that mirror is supposed to be. And in my mind's eye, I'm doing all that. Right, right. I, I feel like Valentino Rossi, you know, hanging off the bike. And then I bought the photos. And man. Photos don't lie. The image in your head and the image from the camera, it's like, wait, this guy took the wrong angle. No, no, no. It's you. You're just not. Yeah. Because it's it's thrilling to be out there for the first time. And you're you're going at, let's call it street pace at, at group C. But street pace for some people is quick. And so for the first time to be on the track... Um, you know, people are maybe concentrating a little too much on putting their knee on the ground as if it's again a, a like, prize to have, right? It's like saying I don't have any chicken strips on my tires. That's a byproduct. It's that it's that byproduct. That's a byproduct of of speed and confidence, right? So I think if you have 
first of all, you should probably get in a little bit better shape so that you can move around on the bike comfortably without getting tired. I found for me, because I'm I'm not, I mean, I know I'm beautiful, but I'm not exactly the best shape human being out there. But I found for me that if I, if I do a lot of bicycling, it helps a lot with motorcycle track days. Because my legs are staying mobile, my knees yeah. aren't getting sore, my hips are opened up, and I can move around comfortably. So even for a 240-pound guy, you'll see pictures of me. My knee's on the ground. I'm lean way over. Squats are your friend. Squats, absolutely. Uh, if I, Even if I don't, can't get to the gym and like do the thing, I always make sure before like a, a track day like that I at least do like some squats at home or ride a bicycle or do some steps. like yep. Something to engage your, um, your glutes and mostly your quads. Hamstrings, hamstrings are in there too, um, because you're going to be carrying your weight on your on your legs. If you're carrying your weight in your arms, you're loading up your arms too much. You're doing it wrong, yeah. Your wrist should not be tired by the end of the track day. Not, not unless there's time. a lot of breaking. But even then, yeah. like like, yeah, you know, I think it was Corey Alexander was was telling me that that he was giving me tips on the troubles of being a tall guy because Corey's like six four or something stupid oh, like wow. that. Um. But he was saying, like, you know, for guys like us that are taller, like, you really have to carry your weight when you're braking with your legs yeah. and gripping the tank with your legs because we just have too much mass that's at too long of a lever uh, to, to be doing that with your arms. <laughs> and then you lose your braking stability. You lose, you get tight. It's hard to make the transition into the turn. Like, you have to be doing it with your legs. And that really changed riding for me a lot, especially on super bikes, because I was less tired and I found myself braking better and, and then that engages your core it engages your legs like truthfully coming off the track at Mugello my right quad both my hamstrings and my hip abductors were the most sore muscles hip abductors is no joke the first and track the hip abductors finished, was me I'm gripping so the sore. tank yeah so I've learned a couple of things too far as gear and the right accessories farkles whatever you want to call them for your track bike I would say make sure the suit that you're buying has good, flexible materials. 100. I mean, that that is probably one of the most important things you can buy. It's unbelievable. If, if you are, because I have, I have my yellow suit, everybody calls a banana suit, and you've seen me ride on that versus my Dayanese. My Dayanese allows so much movement, I can do whatever. No, you need to throw that yellow suit out. The yellow suit's going to just get put away and looked at. He's going to the archive. I can't move around on that suit. Yeah. Um, and and, and I've, I've been behind you when you've been in it. I've seen you in the photos. It is night and day. 100%. And it's, it's all because you can't move. Nope. So if you get the right suit, so go go to a place that has people that know what they're talking about and try on some suits and make sure that the place you're going to has people that do track days. They're going to be able to talk your language with you uh, and, and you know tell you what's going to allow you to move around. This is a suit that, I mean, the first time you wear it, it's going to be tight. So you're going to do a lot of movements. I wear my brand new suits in the house. I do squats in them. I, I stretch around in them. I want to make sure this thing's as mobile as possible on the day that I'm going to ride the motorcycle. I've got a new suit coming in the mail. Um, I can pull up the tracking number even. Ooh. Um, four, eight gets here. Da, 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 da. It'll get here by the time we release the, the next podcast. Awesome. Um, but like, yeah, I'm gonna be like, the first thing I'm gonna do is walk around the house, and that's a custom suit, so it's gonna feel a little bit better. But yep. like, you still got it's still leather, you still gonna, still break gonna it have in. some some burgers, you know, gonna have some burgers. Let it, let it stretch a little. Um, um, the other thing I was gonna say, you should make sure you get for your bike cheapest insurance to make sure your confidence goes up is grip pads on your tanks. I'm not a big grip pad guy, dude. I am. Uh, maybe it's for my bike. My my 999s tank the way it's built. Every time I go to grip it, I feel like I'm gonna fly right off the bike. As soon as I put grip pad on there, I had 100% more grip. I was able to just hang off the bike. I feel like grip pad 
I'll be curious to see what your seat is. Because I feel like like actually the smart plan had a really great seat for 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 like gripping your butt and holding it. And I feel like a good seat, you don't need grip. I don't think I have a good grip. seat. I have just a standard you just got like that vinyl yeah, slippery the standard as fuck. nineteen oh, I'm sorry, two thousand and three Ducati seat on that thing. Yeah, most seats I think are just a little too slippery. If you got a good foam seat or like uh the Alcantara seats now or the micro suede, huh? those things grip really, really well. Nice. Well, maybe that's a that's a. I wonder if dealerships offer those though, because you got to remember most of these people really. that are taking their bikes to a track, they are just taking their run of the mill super yeah, bikes. It's to not the really track. a thing. Like the Kramer's got like this uh, rubber foam that yeah. really grips the ass. Like a race bike seat though. Yeah, it's a little thick though. It's a little too thick, and that bike already has your ass up a little high. I don't know what we're gonna do about that. <laughs> but um, I just remember the smart plan. I was like, this seat really grips my ass. Like I am planted on this bike. And I was impressed by that. Huh. It was like a weird thing to be like, oh, I really like that. Interesting. What uh, what suit are you getting? Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah, I got a Dainese Masano 2 D-Air. D-Air. You're, um, you're sold on the airbag thing. I remember I, I talked to you about it last year. 100% sold yeah. on the airbag thing. Um, Yeah, you're crazy if you're not wearing an airbag. So my my maximum out of pocket is like $7,500. My deductible is $1,500. It's so like just do the math. Yeah. Like if I break a collarbone, like that's and you've done that. I'm blowing into that for sure. <laughs> you've done that already. And then I've got the 12 week rehabilitation, or I've got the surgery. Like, like airbag suit makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, why wouldn't I want to be safer? I think I 100 believe in that technology. The Masano Two is the next generation airbag for Dainese. It's a lot. It's like 20 percent lighter. It's a lot lighter than the old one. Um. And it'll be all logoed up, so that'll be cool. <laughs> it'll, look, it'll look cool. But like, I, I don't care what brand. Like, get an Alpine Stars, get a Dainese, whatever fits you better. Alpine Stars doesn't quite fit me quite right. Um, so uh, so I, I prefer the Dainese, but your mileage can vary. But I 100% believe in that technology to the point where I had a brand recently want me to wear their gear on the track. And I was like, do you make an airbag? Then I'm not going to wear it. Like, I'm going to... I'm gonna go out on a 214 horsepower superbike, especially at the pace you're going, without an airbag. No way. When I could have an airbag, right? Get out of your fucking mind. <laughs> and, I, and I've got two street jackets now that have airbags, and like, you'd be really hard pressed not to see me in one because it just I believe in it. I haven't had one go off yet, but um, oh, that's okay. I'm we okay talked with to that. a couple. Michael Gilbert, he was with us at the RSV4 launch too. Super fast, dude. Michael Gilbert's a Moto America racer. He's working for Cycle World now, and uh, he swears by like he he's like yeah yeah. He he had a big crash a season or two ago, hmm. big crash, and he's just like yeah, I think I'm pretty much still here because of a D air. So yeah, it's just they're heavy. It's heavier. Like there's technology's got to get better. They don't breathe obviously because you've got a you know bladder or air bladder thing that's in the way of air flowing right. to you so we're gonna have to figure that out um, my right. april fool's joke was that you know uh, <laughs> there's a perforated airbag technology <laughs> but something like that's gonna have to i'm to sure they can through. make ventilation around it it's just it's just it's gonna take a little time you know we're still early days on it but yeah man sign me up so a right suit at the very least i get, mean get out and move around a little bit I mean, everyone's budget's a little bit different. These airbag suits aren't cheap, but they're getting cheaper. Um, but I buy, think uh, I think with Alpine Star, you can get into one for around twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, it's about the same for Dainese yeah. too. 
Uh, you're going to spend about two G's or more, a little over two G's. Um, my, my theory of gear is just always like I've gone through multiple bikes in my career of, of ownership. I, I don't wear my original helmet. I don't wear any of my original gear, but I still have like my jacket. In fact, actually I should take it back. I think one of my second motorcycle jackets I still wear, uh, from time to time. Yeah. I still have like a 15 year old like, like, one and all my gear that I did buy is still good. Like yeah. it's not like you're war through. I bought quality gear and it's going to follow you for life. That is actually one of the most important things to remember. It, that initial cost is going to stick around forever. You're, you're, you're not spending this money and thinking you're going to spend it every year. You're going to buy this one jacket and it's going to last you. Buy what's, I mean, most importantly, 10 years plus. Buy from brands that have, you know, that know what they're doing. Yep. There's, there's so many, like, kind of like, I'm going to use the word hipster brands, but there's so many kind of like startup, let's say that are more lifestyle brands yeah. that I kind of just look at it and I'm like, how is your leather jacket any different from like the one I buy at Macy's? <laughs> like, you don't really look like something I want to be. Dude with in. a with a, a you know tattoo and that rides a Harley. Yeah, but buy buy purpose built motorcycle gear that fits you, most importantly, and you know fits your budget because it's going to be with you for a really long time. So on this last ride, that and I imagine went yourself to, crashing it. No, please like, don't. Like, would I crash in this gear? <laughs> And if but, the answer is no, then you shouldn't buy that gear. Dress for the slide, not for the ride. I mean, like, yeah, to an extent. But I just sit there like, because I've seen some stuff where I'm just like, really? You're going to wear that? You're going to crash in that? How would you like crashing in that? Because <laughs> you're going to be in the mess, man. You're going to be like, things are going to be coming off your ass cheeks and going onto your arms. Just tell people that buy that shit. Just get on a bicycle. Go go like 10, 50 miles an hour and hop off the bike. It's like, yeah, cyclists are insane. You're going to wear a Lycra going like 40 miles down the hill? You're Dude, insane. Dude, I get passed by them on Germantown all the time. Like, you are wearing <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but I love that. They're like, I would never ride my bicycle without a helmet. I'm like, you mean that Neat. little like teacup that's on that's your head? And then cute. you're wearing your underwear on the thing? Give me a break. I mean, I'm sure it works. I'm sure it works at some level, but I think we're so used to being like super protected on our motorcycle gear. And we look at these people in these super thin Lycra suits like, you're going to die. So we were, we were doing this big ride uh, the weekend before last. It was our first sort of BDR-ish ride. And among uh, the conversations that we had, one of our buddies said, you know, I keep buying the wrong gear and then finally breaking down and buying the right gear. And by the time you know, he spent all the money on the wrong gear, he would have saved, a, you know, at least yeah. a half of that had he just bought the more expensive thing up front. Yeah. So, you know, you keep buying like these off-brand waterproof stuff and then you realize, okay, there's a reason why Gore-Tex costs extra. Yeah. You know, I hate that it's really the only brand out there that's available that can be waterproof and breathable at the same time and have a crazy good lifetime warranty on it. But that's the case, right? So you're going to look at a Gore-Tex motorcycle jacket that's going to cost you, say, $700, Versus a non Gore-Tex one that costs you four hundred bucks, but you're gonna go through two of those jackets before you realize. All right, I ride adventure. I ride in the rain. I ride sometimes where there's snow, and I'm miserable because I don't have the right gear on. And the person who bought the right one the first time still has the same jacket that they bought five six years ago, and they're happy as can be. Yeah, I think that's a purchase I want to make only once. That's my philosophy. Yeah. By the by. The, Everyone's got their budget, and I understand that. Buy the best gear that you can afford, because yep. you're gonna have it for a really long time. And and truthfully, I got one set of leathers that that I can't use anymore because they've just been crashed in too much. But just about every piece of gear that I have has lasted 
multiple crashes. Like the ones that I've crashed in have lasted multiple crashes. Like I'm my Dionysia still looks good after my second crash in it. I have a Dionysia jacket that you can't even tell that I crashed in. Doesn't doesn't have a look lick of damage to it. Uh, I've got some leathers. My Alpine Star leathers are pretty much done. Um, I've taken I, a couple tumbles in my Dionysia that I leathers crashed in that you can't even tell. I don't know what kind of leather they had on this thing. The, the jacket weighs easily 15 pounds. Yeah, I have an Icon jacket. My Icon jacket looks really clean after my crash, but you know, then again, I broke my collarbone in it. So, there's the that. airbag. You need the airbag, Jensen. That's what I'm like sitting there, like airbag, airbag. I'm not, I'm not mucking around anymore. Guys, your size and my size. Like we hit the ground with a little extra oomph. Got some yeah. kick-ass torfall. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of anecdotal things going on there, but I look at that crash and I was just like. I think if I was wearing something different, that outcome would have been different. Not even talking like airbags, just just different pads, different jackets. Yeah, I wonder. But I mean, like the scientist to me is like, eh, it's very anecdotal. Um, what else? What else? Uh, gear, gear, stuff to bring to the track with you. Um, undergarments, a pop, a pop up tent, if if you can, or a buddy that's got one, a chair, a cooler. Bring food. Bring a lot of water. Bring a lot, a lot of Gatorade. Of um, bring your own damn gas. Bring bring a can of gas. You're going to need about five gallons of gas, maybe more. Well, no, I'm going to fill up your bike. I, so I, I fill up my bike, and I usually run with a two, two and a half gallon tank or a can. And I'm usually kind of bumming like half a gallon off someone by the end of the day. Uh-huh. That's why I bought a five so gallon. So now tank. I've got a five gallon can, and that's going to get you through it for sure. Yep. Um, depending like, I mean, depending what group you're in, depending what your thing is, like I've definitely ridden to track days, aired down my tires and just put some tape over my headlight and called it even and had a lot of fun. You can start escalating from there and get like tire warmers and rear stands and front stands and a generator and all these things if you want. But I feel like that's really dictated by what tires you're running what group, group you're, you're running in, yeah. and what pace you're running i think if you're group c just make sure you have all the right gear i'll put it to you this way i went from a c level rider to an a level rider on dot sport bike tires no warmers nothing else riding to the track day yeah you can do great lap times on road tires absolutely um there's no reason to go out and start spending the extra money on the super sticky stuff especially when you're a new rider. Um, I, I like for me, like my favorite sport bike tires are the Diablo Rosso Corso. Oh my God. The threes or the twos? Rosso Corso two, two. That's a you're great thinking tire. of the Rosso threes. That's a street tire. You can do a track day on it. It's not a good idea. No, it'll cook. The Rosso Corso two is a great street slash track tire that you can do a bunch of street miles on a few track days on. And go all the way up to an A-level pace on it. No problem. Um, and then if you really got the track day bug, then you can start thinking about like super course of tires or whoever your your track-specific tire is of choice. And then start thinking about maybe warmers. Um, but I don't I don't own a set of warmers. I have to buy some warmers for my racing this year. <laughs> you better get that shit you know? together. How silly is that? But like <laughs> I just I just don't own any because it's just not a thing. I go out there my first lap or two, I take it easy, I warm up the tires. Yeah. It's not a big deal. I'm just not gonna stress it. You don't need you don't need to do it. And well, how you're that, usually on your street fighter, which has street tires on it anyways. Yeah. They have 
Rosso Corso 2s on yep. Um But even like with super bikes and stuff, like I think for our death match, we did. We, 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 I don't think I know we did warmers, but that was just because of a time issue, really, because you had to be so quick with the laps. We only had X amount of laps. Um, I've got a generator, but most of the tracks I go to have um, electrical system. Yeah, have a like wired electrical. I don't have a canopy, but I'm going to get one this year. But yeah, that's like the biggest thing is just like you want to keep yourself comfortable when you've got your downtime, which means shade, somewhere to sit, something to drink, something to eat, um, and buy photos from a photographer at the end because that's how you're yeah. going to learn. Bring a GoPro. Uh, one of the one of the one of the great tips I got from from a fellow racer was you know GoPro your sessions because you'd be like I want to break at the 150 marker oh yeah I hit it every time well GoPro doesn't lie nope did you hit it every time at 150 no you chickened out at 180 didn't you oh you were late you're at 120 <laughs> okay this is this is how you keep yourself honest yeah absolutely to measure is to know and that's with lap timers that's with GoPros and that's with photos. And if you wanted to invest in improving yourself, those are the three things that I would go to. So get a good one-piece suit, get a good set of boots, get a nice pair of... Uh, um, or two or, or two pieces zips all the way together. Yeah. I, I, that's what I wore I think at every track has a different rule on there, but I think a two-piece that uh, with a 270 zipper on there that goes all the way around, yeah. sort of. I, I wrote a two-piece at Magello. Look at you. Because... By the air jacket. They had the airbag, yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, get the right helmet that fits you properly. Yes. Get a set of gauntlet gloves yes. that have, you know, two string, uh, two straps on them, one at the wrist, one a little bit Covers. higher up. You should have no skin showing. None. So the reason you want Not a gauntlet a glove is because it goes over the leather cuff. Right. Um, you don't want to have shorties on. It's just bad news bears. Um and the same thing with like your boots. Make sure you have a proper motorcycle boot. We had yeah. a person on the Zvart Pullen launch that had like street boots on and was kind of like wearing skinny jeans. And you could see like their ankle. And I was just sitting there going like, ow. They weren't a journalist. They were another person. And I was just like, you're going to have a really hard time when you crash. That might look really good for that lifestyle photo you're trying to take. But your Instagram's looking great. But like yeah. you're going to be in a world of pain if something bad happens. And the pace we were going... I'm surprised no one ended up in a tree. So, <laughs> um, I wear like a sort of Under Armour style long pants oh, and long yeah. sleeve underneath my gear because holy shit, is it difficult to take that tight suit off when you're sweating? I and you will be to, sweating. Yeah, I used to do that. Um, uh, and then what the. F- I'm about to recommend a company on their website that doesn't use secure network stuff anymore. What the hell? Stop doing that. All right. So I was I also recommend this brand, even though their website's totally bananas. I I really like the new the Venom VNM. Okay. Uh under stuff. It's it's a lot thinner than the Under Armour, and it's um it's just more of a tailored fit. It's just very slick. I can probably go grab the shirt and show it to you later. Mm. Um, is it but like it a pants makes it, and shirt separate or is it a one piece? I just have a shirt, but I want to get the pants. I want to, truthfully, I want to get some branded A&R stuff from yeah. it. I think it'd be, I think that'd be rad and maybe some other people would think it'd be rad. We could sell it um, because it's just, it's the easiest in and out I've ever had out of a leather suit. Nice. But it's that same idea. Like it's, it's just a very thin polyester Sweat type of material. Breathable. It's, it just makes it a lot easier. When I was, 
it was funny because um, when I was at the Magell launch, I had forgotten the long sleeve shirt that I had, and I had just a short sleeve. And like how much my arms were getting caught on the mesh, I was like, "Oh, Jensen, you, you idiot! Yeah, Come on, what are you doing yeah. here?" And you're when you get sweaty, you get stuck inside those things so quick. I've done the t-shirt thing. I see dudes doing it just bare skin, and I'm it's done, like, "How the hell are you doing that?" Right you're now? just making more <laughs> trouble for yourself. You're making me uncomfortable, man. <laughs> you don't have to like get like super thick things on, but just something, just just a little lube, yeah. just a little little something. My, you know, honestly, the one I wear is an Adidas one. It's an Adidas like hot weather. Uh, almost like a rash guard. Yeah, that's what you need. That's pretty much all you really need. Yeah. It breathes yeah. really well. You can get a cooler weather one for the, yeah. you know, if you're out in the track in the 50s and 60s because yeah. it gets chilly and especially when we start sweating. Yeah, I really like this Venom brand, but anything like that would be, that's that's what you want. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I think at this point, Dayanese makes their own, Alpine Star makes their own. Everybody's got something. How about Stars and Dayanese have like these like bodysuit things? I've got one from each of them and I don't love them. They're, they're the zipper, the full length zipper. I don't like that. I'm just not like I wear them, but I'm not a big fan. But it's like lingerie for at home when you're fooling around with your girl. I do not look good in it. Come on, hundred percent and guaranteed. I'm not getting <laughs> it's a little see through. You can get a little that. nip action. It's just nothing looks good. It's not chest, chest hairs poking out of the just moose knuckling my way through life. <laughs> I'm just really selling this thing. Yeah, that's um no. That's a no is what that is. So if you're C group, just make sure you have all the gear that you wear with you because chances are you're going to be basically in the classroom and in the on the track most of the time. If your track group has a classroom. If, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and then basic my, make bike maintenance. Make sure your bikes, you've, you've touched all the major things. Check your oil drain plug, your When fill, you say cap. touch, you need to clarify. You mean literally touch. I mean literally touch, touch it. Like walk up put to the bike and massage it. this thing. Put a wrench on it. See where it's at. Yeah. Um, check your chain tension. Lube your chain. Check your tire pressures. Check your tires. Make, make sure, sure you know. Check your tires for sure. <laughs> but make sure you know what your tire pressure, cold, hot. Know both of those because the cold is just a guesstimation to get you to the right hot pressure. Right. So like, yeah, you can sit there and be like, what's the cold pressure for the star? And you be like, oh, 28 PSI. <laughs> Go ride the thing. But like that, that's relevant only to so many degrees if it's like 50 degrees out and if it's 100 degrees out. Right. And that that could change. So knowing what your hot pressure is and knowing if you've gotten your tires up to the hot pressure, like to a point where they be at the hot pressure um, and checking that. Like I check my tire pressures every session. I come in. The first thing I do, I usually don't even get my helmet off. First thing I do is I get the bike up on the stand and I check my tire pressure. Yeah, well, they're still nice and hot. And I might get lax on that, like the last session or last two sessions of the day, but every session before lunch, 100%, session after lunch, probably sure, until I'm really confident that I'm hitting it every single time, because I probably adjust it every single time. I'm hmm. probably dropping a pound or adding a pound, and it's usually dropping a pound every fucking time I come back in. Is there a good resource for people to look up what their specific tire brand and size no, there should, should be? be? You know, that would be a great thing we should do on Asphalt and Rubber. That's a great idea. Why don't we do that? The manufacturers, the tire manufacturers are getting a lot better. Metzler, Pirelli, Michelin, Dunlop has an amazing website now. The Dunlop America website has got it. That's the standard. You want to talk about the Jensen score? Yeah. They're 100. Nice. They've got all the information. They got cold temperature, hot temperature. They've got the different sizes, the different grip levels. I mean, let me pull this. I'm, I'm getting excited about it. 
What's what's it? What's their website? I'm extra prideful that I've been running Dunlops Dunlop on my Ducati. I've been making. I got a little made fun of for that one. It's so good. It's, find your race tires. There we go. Rain slicks. Good slicks. So the, yeah, so you got this little thing. You click like view tech info. Like look at this little like, little like spreadsheet Whoa. basically they're making. So you got like the durability, the different compounds. Rim range data, inflation pressure. They got cold and hot pressure recommendations. What's to say about my GPAs? Well, I'm on slicks. Let's oh. get, let's go back. GPA would be like a DOT race. Uh, da, 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 da. GPA pros. Are you running pros? Uh, bu, bu, bu. Uh, you're probably on a 190, I would imagine. Yep. Well, there's three compounds in the 190. Ooh. So I don't know what compound you're on. Well, but they're all the same pressure. So you want to be 18 to 22 cold, uh, 20 to 20, 22 to 25 hot, and that's for the rear. Yep. Okay. And then your front's going to be 30 to 32 cold, 34 to 36 hot. That's a lot. It's a lot higher in the front than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I've been running 32, 25 hot. No, 32, 24 hot is where I've been running. Hey, oh, you're kind of like each end of the spectrum there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, I love that. I, like, they did a great job on this website. And then you can like click and buy the tires. They just, they made it really, really easy. I remember looking on the pet, on the Metzler site and the Pirelli sites recently. And I was like, I really had to kind of like hunt for it. I wasn't so stoked on that. Michelin. It's been a while since I've been on the Michelin site. I'm like, I go do it all now. I think Bridgestone, I remember vaguely having pretty good, easy information. They're getting better. Yeah. They're getting a lot better. And, Usually there is a tire vendor uh, at the track day. Now, usually the way the tire vendors work, they usually have like some sort of like deal with a certain tire provider, right? Whether it's Dunlop or Pirelli, you don't usually see Michelin. It's usually Dunlop and Pirelli in the U.S. that kind of dominate it. And that's like what they get their deal on. <laughs> they might carry some other ones, but usually they will at least have the pressures for the more popular tires from the other brands. Right? They will definitely have the pressures from their tires if they don't then they're not good at their job don't listen to them anyways um, <laughs> don't even let them install the damn yeah tire. and just be like really you don't know what, <laughs> you don't know what pressure i should be using in your tires with i don't know about you buddy you're you new what's your story so maybe another thing that people should invest in is a good tire pressure gauge define good i mean this is i mean they, they all pretty much work right i have a 11 tire pressure gauge i have a 30 dollar one you know Whatever, same thing. If I can read the numbers clearly, there's that really nice one that's got liquid in it and a little bubble. That's yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Um, I've seen people literally spend thousands of dollars on tire pressures. I understand like tire pressure, like as a measurement, like you can get five different tire pressure gauges. They will all read a different tire pressure, and then they might be within like one or two pounds, right? Like the total net of them. But it's like one of the things where it's just like, which one's right? Like, do you know how hard it is to find out what an actual tire pressure, like like the the accurate tire pressure is? Like it's fucking next to impossible. I bet one of those brands has it written on their box that theirs is the accurate one. I mean, it's just it's just it's almost a subjective thing. I'm, I'm being sarcastic. in terms of like things that we can measure, we don't measure tire pressure very very accurately. <laughs> um so it's just kind of like eh, I don't know. So like a little bit of that is like as you get better as a, as a track rider is understanding like 
Like, 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 same thing with this, this, like, the Dunlop thing. Like, the tire pressure ranges they're giving are two to three PSI. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a range. That's, that's just false. It's like somewhere a recommendation. It's right. like the pirate code. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not so much like a rule that is as, as it is a guideline. Um, th- at the end of the day, it's going to be like writer preference. It's like, hey, I'm really, I'm really losing grip. Maybe I drop a pound. Yeah. Two pounds. I think the trick is to have or, hey, a tire, like, oh, my tire pressure is getting worn out too much. I need to go. I need to add some pressure. So there's like when you start getting to the the other echelons, like I think the range works great. A level riders can still just. Oh, I'm in the range. I'm good. They can feel it. But when you start getting to that level, you can start like getting the feedback. Hey, I need a little bit of this. I need a little bit of that, and then start playing around with it. But that's that's more high level shit. So that's pretty much all you need then. You're good to go. Go ride. We're right. It's uh, move around a little bit. Get your get yourself limbered up. Get comfortable. Get some new tires. Check and, your shit. And and don't get frustrated. I think that's the biggest thing. Like I and I come back to this idea. And then like the my colleague Manjel, like like you're gonna have a bad day. I've had bad days on the track. Things don't work out well. I remember crashing on the second turn of a siding lap at New Jersey Motorsports Park. And to this day, do not know why that happened. I honest, it was like middle of October. There's a high gravity point right that We spot. had a little bit ice. It was a cold morning. Like it legitimately could have been black ice for right. all I know. Right. But I just remember being like, I did not know that happened. And it really kind of fucked me up for the rest of the day. And like I learned, my takeaway from that was, there's like, you can have bad days. You can get in your head. And the biggest thing is just to like be able to let that go, which is very difficult yeah. to do in terms of Reset how your easy head. it is to say. But understand that speed is a byproduct. So... If you feel like you're fighting the bike, if you're not getting where you want to be, get your confidence back. And for me, that's that's getting my, my body position right. That's starting slow and working to fast. And that like that always seems to be the reset for me. Um, and that's kind of how you get your your, your groove back. <coughs> I think there's a lot of pressure for people because they've spent you know <clears throat> maybe two three hundred dollars in that track day and they want to get the most of it and. Uh, Absolutely. You know, they see people around them going faster than them and they yeah. want to prove to their buddies that they're good. And there's always like kind of a little bit of a pissing match. There is. You can always see like the person that's like super chatty during the riders meeting and talks a big game. Like those are always like, I'm like, oh, so you're the slow guy. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, because there's just a lot of overcompensation because people get nervous and there's adrenaline. And like, I think a big part of the sport is learning to have like your, your Zen, like get your Zen on flow like water, like just, or just relax a little bit. The more relaxed you are, the faster you're going to be. Um, shoot, I had one more thing and I forgot what I was going to say. Have fun. Have fun. Easily. No, that have really fun. is it. You're, I think you're there. I think if you leave your ego at the door, you'll have so much more fun. That's what it is. It was it was the the spending the money and all the things. Like it's really easy to psych yourself out and put too much pressure on the day. Yeah. So just make sure you have fun. That's it. And and the other part of it too is almost never have I ridden every minute of every session. No. I mean, I do more now because usually like I'm working. Like I I gotta I gotta do it. But when I did track days just for fun, I usually sat out the first session. I'll let you you other people go out. You, you know, warm you, up you, you warm up the track for you go me. Go get, you go get that goose you, shit off the track for me. You, go on you clear the racing line for me. Because <laughs> nine times out of ten, like and you'll see it. Guys packing up their stuff when there's like one or two sessions still left in the yeah, day. Yeah. You're just gonna go like 
the, the track's warm now. Dude, like it's prime. Everyone, it's prime right now. Everyone who's going to crash already crashed. Like there's like <laughs> even fewer people now than there was before. Now you're leaving. There's going to be even 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 fewer people. Out. The whole track is ours right now, the, man. The best sessions are the last two of the day. <laughs> so if you're going to trade sessions, don't trade off the the last two. Turn off like the first. Like the two. first two. I I, I always eh. I always did the first one. <clears throat> I, I go out now on the first ones, but I go way easier. So I'm just sitting there just like, all right, what's going on? Who's awake? Who had the coffee? I like going good? to the first ones on Group B just to see how everyone over there is doing. Group B is always Thunderdome. It's amazing. I love the Thunderdome, but in the mornings, Thunderdome is kind of quiet. Everyone's a little little nervous. You got a lot of butterflies out there. Yeah. you just. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Everyone's a little nervous and they're making really bad decisions. <laughs> really poor choices. Yeah. Go ahead and hit that first, first left-hand turn as hard as you can. Yeah. I'll tell you all about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, sir. I picked up a lot of bikes in the first few sessions. Um, I think that's all I got. That's all my bullet points. Nice. We have so much more to talk about. We have so show. much more to talk about. I want to talk about my BDR ride that I did. Oh, my God. We totally glanced over all we, that. We, we got so much more to talk about. Oh, no. We're going to see each other in a couple of days and just yakety yak. I've got talk three back. more bikes to tell you about. Yeah, I know. I've got two factories to tell you about. Uh, i got a great recipe for lasagna. I definitely want to hear about that. And, uh, yeah. We got a lot. Uh, yeah. Really good. We made like one of the best steaks out there. I, have, I might have a good recipe for how to make a good steak oh, really? while out in the woods. Oh. Dude. Oh. So much fun. Oh. Um, I did learn a very important lesson uh, when I was dirt biking back in the day. Oh, like yeah. A month, two months ago. Um, it's that momentum is your friend. Momentum is definitely your momentum friend. Momentum is so much your friend. And then when you're on a 600-pound adventure bike... Not as much of your friend? Oh, the rule still applies. In fact, even more so because when you're on freshly rained on muddy uh, uh, roads that we have out here for for the um, logging roads and your bike wants to sink, guess why it's sinking? You're going slow. Yeah. Go faster. Pick it up a little. Yeah. Lean back a little, put some weight on that rear tire and just let her rip. You got 150 horses and they're just dying to get you out of that hole. When in doubt, throttle out. <laughs> when in doubt, throttle out. So, no, we had a lot of fun. I'm going to I'm gonna get a little bit more into it, and and uh, it's sort of my goal this year to do as many of those as possible. So uh, we, we, we I think we've got our packing and camping gear dialed in really well, and uh, we got the bikes dialed in pretty well. Got all the right farkles to make sure everything's right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, it's all about the farkles when you're adventure touring because at some point you're going to have to show up to the local coffee shop and look cool. You know, don't wash the bike. The mud looks cool. Right. Speaking of which, I actually have to wash my bike. I think the mud's like embedded right it's now. Probably like in the <laughs> I really should. Oh, I'm really looking forward to hearing about that, sir. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. That that should be a good one. And then we'll do that. And then we'll be at Coda. We'll probably record at Coda. Hell yeah! And that's that's like that's a good little April right there. I think so. April April's looking good. And let's not forget, at some point, April is going to be our Goldwing Two Upride. So. We do. We did this show. Yep. We'll do one this weekend. Uh-huh. We'll do one in Coda. Uh-huh. And then I think the one after that will have to be the, the Goldwing show. I am so excited for the Goldwing show. We gotta we're going to have out. to figure out our wiring, our yeah. sound system. It's going to be a whole thing. Uh, where are we going to ride? What are we going to eat, most importantly? Oh, yeah. Should we go to the coast? Should we go around our favorite mountain? I don't know. We've got to figure this out. Let's go, let's go get burgers and talk let's about it. Let's go get burgers and talk about this. All right. All you right. know what happens before then? Just make good choices. And remember, safety third. Good talk. We'll see you out there. You're so much louder than me. I don't, I can't, because my voice comes from you. You're so loud. Do it again.
Hi, I'm Cheyenne Alvandi. No, get me excited, Shaheen. Hey, Cheyenne, I'm crazy. Uh, uh, da, 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 maybe go one down. I've learned to sit back when I get excited. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get it. And I told her. <laughs> Rector damn nil killed her. Uh, 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 oh, man. Fucking Walt Siegel, you're crushing it. Take my shoes off. Yeah, there we go. Oh, fuck it. I'm comfortable up in this bitch. <laughs> Getting crazy with a cheese whiz, Coda.